0: I think we better head back what just find the trail john i've lost the trail you don't just lose a trail you just don't want to find him yeah that's right jack i've been running through the jungle toward the sound of gunfire because i don't care about michael don't turn around on me john you're not going to get him to come back and you know hey, it you know what happens if we just turn around and go back we're never going to see him again and that's going to be on us on you and on me You're exactly right, Jack. But if I were you, I'd listen to Mr. Lop.
1: Over, but we have to go back down the hatch. It's the Lost Rewatch podcast here on Post Show Recapsule. Everybody, I'm Josh Wiggler and Mike Bloom. Light
2: them up. Uh, okay, we're performing that Imagine Dragon song like we rehearsed to open this up. Yes. I, know that you, I know that we wanted to sort of escalate from the song parody you did, so we thought we'd do a whole real life thing, complete mm-hmm. with real life torch effects, a dance team, a step crew. All, all the jazz to show that we have the numbers, but I think we have come up a bit short. A but little bit here short. Spirit.
1: A little bit short. Obviously, uh, here in The Hunting Party, Season 2, Episode 11, uh, this is Mr. Friendly shows up, the others show up, and they show up with a big, uh, like, circle of torches around Jack and Locke and Sawyer, and we can't exactly bring that to you in podcast form, unless something goes really awry with Mike Bloom's current podcasting setup, which he could describe for you, because, Mike, I feel like you are in danger of being surrounded by a circle of flames.
2: Yeah, essentially, I'm residing in one giant electrical hazard right now. (laughs) Just a tangle of wires and devices it's much like spaghetti which is only <laughs> pertinent given the fact Angel that this is a pasta. jack shepherd episode
1: <laughs> yeah because you had to relocate your son's taking a nap in the room where you typically podcast so in, in a hurry you have uh, relocated your podcasting equipment and i i the mental image that i have of you right now mike which i which i sadly cannot see uh the, the real image uh is is you just like in a very dangerous tangle of like a <gasps> bird's nest that is made of wires that could spontaneously at any given well way.
2: you know i think that arranging wires is therapeutic much more so than washing your hands and or finding out that your <laughs> spouse has an affair so i think we oh my god we, yeah we take sure. precedent over jack on that one but yeah we shall see i mean you're uh you're talking about a listening experience we're about to go into a listening experience and i'm excited to talk about the hunting party with you josh for many reasons one of them being the first time I encountered this episode was as a listening experience only so i find it only pertinent that years and years later, fifteen years later, almost we go full circle back to an audio only medium as we talk about yeah. this episode.
1: So, so you had teased this last week a little bit, right? Like that you remembered exactly what your experience with the hunting yeah, party much, was, much much like can, Jack
2: and Gabrielle. Lots of teasing going on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> can you can you elaborate for us? How did you encounter the hunting party? Because I've been dying to find out.
2: Okay, so uh the day was this was you know early in the year. It was January eighteenth, two thousand six. I was residing in my parents' home in south uh, southwestern Connecticut. Of course, I was going to be turning 17 that year, so I was but the motley age of 16. But of course, I had nowhere to drive to, even though I had my license, because there was a big snowstorm going on. And one of the unfortunate casualties of living in a suburban home is that when uh, storms come in, be they P- precipitated related or rain or snow the power tends to go out so unfortunately on january 18th our lost day our power went out but good news send my father for he had a radio and he was a big sports person so uh he was able to get a radio i don't know if all radios do this slash did this but it was a radio that was able to get the basic channels so get like you know, if you wanted the, the broadcast of, like, the CBS announcements of the NFL game on that Sunday, you'd be able to get it through the radio. So it took a bit of convincing, but my mom and I, because she was my lost watching partner for years on years... We sat in the candlelight, surrounded by a, a you know a figure of uh, torches. Be them more Bath and Body Works than the others, but that's
1: <laughs> nothing to write home about. I mean, who knows? They may be they may have a Bath and Body Works station somewhere on the island. We just don't I know. imagine
2: one of the lost stations is like the candle making station that they just <laughs> yeah. didn't explore. But uh, we turned the radio over to ABC, and the very first time I encountered the hunting party, Josh was just purely listening. As like these, a radio play. As a radio play. That being said, it was very confusing. Uh, I, I have a lot of fondness for the scene that we heard in the intro that we're going to get into a lot, a lot of detail with. Essentially, uh, the big first sit down between the others and 815. And one of the reasons I really remember it is because it's really the only scene that I really remember, uh, you know, that I really was able to get such actions, such as you know jack kissing another woman not necessarily yeah uh, as, a sound well. type yeah. of uh action that you could
1: necessarily take. yeah in. i don't know how you mimic that just like nah, nah, yeah nah, or nah, even nah. Well,
2: even during the the firelight scene when you know that's uh, how i when, kiss, by the when way when friendly's uh, like oh boy okay well that's i'm cannot wait for the next time you podcast with emily then for that fully yeah. experience but uh right. you know when when tom goes like bring her in alex i'm like okay who is she and they don't really mention her name
1: yeah, this this one does not work as a radio play, unfortunately. <laughs> just like thinking it through, uh, so you probably are going to have a hard time ever like seeing this episode any other way than that. That's such an I mean, I'm going to have a hard time memory. seeing
2: this episode in general because I'm just used <laughs> to hearing it.
1: Yeah, but yeah, that, that, uh, was, that was the
2: first <laughs> and only episode I've ever taken in. Also, I mean, even back in 2005, they didn't necessarily do like a hey, let's rerun these episodes leading up to the finale, from what I remember. Instead, they put in those weird ass clip shows. Uh, that I'm sure, you know, we're not going to get into, but they sort of have popped up sporadically throughout the years. So I remember this was one of the episodes that took me a while before I actually got to outright
1: watch for the first time instead of just here. All right, well, you know, it's interesting because the hunting party, I think, is very fondly remembered. Uh, I think that people, when when you think of season two, one of the moments that you think about from season two is the first face-to-face Between the 815ers and the others, between Jack and Mr. Friendly, or Zeke, uh, as Sawyer calls him here. No relation to to your buddy and mine from Survivor, uh, Millennials versus Gen X, and Game Changers fame. Um, At least that we know of. I mean, listen, if
2: so, he is not nearly as fantastically dressed as our friend Zeke
1: uh yeah i mean if he if he could put on a hawaiian shirt that would be that would be spectacular uh for for a future i don't know I feel, for, I feel like when
2: we encounter casual friendly in season three like maybe Tom, we'll, maybe we'll yeah, have to take Tom. a look at that
1: no tom's wardrobe needs work tom's wardrobe <laughs> definitely needs work but off island in season four it's pretty good but in season you know three, when he's dead no but well, he's he's not quite dead there yet but he's on his way yeah he, he, uh, he finally
2: found a fashion sense in the afterlife
1: but i mean this is a character who uh is uh inextricably tied to the 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 huge cliffhanger from exodus uh this is the guy who took the boy and you've been waiting all season long to see further development on the others and you finally get it in this form where uh where the others clap back uh 815 815 tries to tries to, to make a move on finding Michael who's gone rogue, who's gone AWOL, and Jack is doing his thing where he just like will not he refuses to back down and you know uh you know uh, unstoppable force meets a movable object here in the middle of the jungle with this line in the proverbial sand. Um and it's it's just such a great scene. Mm-hmm. And I really do think, Mike, it is an all-timer scene. Yeah. But is the scene all-timer enough to make the hunting party an all-timer episode, Mm. because there certainly are scenes that that do do the trick in this regard. Um, And there are also scenes that that are do-do. There are also things that are doo-doo. Uh, doo-doo is a thing that we all do. Uh, in, in this case, uh, is that, is this iconic face-to-face between Mr. Friendly and Jack and John and Sawyer and bringing in Kate and the first, uh, you know, reference of Alex in a very long time. Um, are these things so iconic and so powerful? That it causes the rest of the episode to to rise above any other weaknesses. I think that's something that we're going to be talking about here as we bullet point through the episode, because um, it's one where like it's a fairly straightforward hour of Lost. Yeah, mm-hmm. P- people go through the jungle. There's a little bit of a rote flashback. Uh, Jack is sad and his marriage falls apart. And there's a really great scene that's very quick in the Dharma station with some music and the first Geronimo jackson reference so like there's really good stuff here but is this an elite episode of mm. lost right uh, i i sense from you that the answer is probably no
2: well i think we have made this prevalent you know in the previous episodes that i am more about i think the whole meal than you know the courses we have along the way that like oh yes there may be big scenes but if i'm leaving an episode can I walk home with more than just one big scene? And I will say that I think that scene in the jungle, especially watching it instead of just hearing it, I personally think is one of the best scenes in season two in general, uh, which is great, crazy considering what we've seen so far. And I will also say that at least the end of the Jack flashback I think is super interesting. I think one of the big mysteries going into season two was, okay, we know Jack was married. What happened with Sarah? And to have, you know... This is the fifth Jack Flashback episode, I think, and I think our previous one was him meet-cuting Sarah, and here is a split-cute, and not so or not-so-cute, I suppose, so it's interesting to sort of see the beginning and end of that relationship. Outside of that, your mileage may vary, but I think we'll get into the mileage later on, but I will say, I think as a whole in this episode, I think, you know, it's, I think for me, it's more part of the, for the course, for some of our maybe more middle-of-the-range slash lower-end season two episodes. Uh, even though it does hit some of those higher highs.
1: All right, we'll get into all of that of course we'll get into your feedback as well which you can send to us down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com is our email address. you can also hit us up on Twitter I'm at Round Howard uh, like Ron Howard and actually Ron Howard uh, <laughs> your Mike secrets
2: is- finally out Josh you took <laughs> off the beard
1: <laughs> That's a very inside joke for some people who get it uh, Mike Bloom at a Mike Bloom type and of course you can subscribe to the down the Hatch podcast wherever get you get your podcasts uh, your, your podcast app of choice, your ratings and reviews greatly appreciate a couple of quick items of business before we proceed. Mike, I just want to say I was a, a guest on the storm Lost yeah. podcast this week. Uh, I was speaking with Joanna Robinson on that one for two for the road, uh, which we are still a few weeks away from, but connected to, to what we're talking about here. We're talking about the last Michael Dawson yes, appearance for, for a long time. And, and that, that's not the, the very first Michael Dawson reappearance, but it's the one where he comes back in full force. Uh, Really fun conversation with Joanna, who is uh, a, 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 an incredible writer, uh, is somebody who I have admired for a very long time um, in, in uh, similar circles that, that I run in, in, in the writing space of the entertainment world. Uh, and I think that she is like the queen of the scene. I think that she is just like the very, very top of the game, uh, aspirational goals for sure. So it was a really, really cool bucket list thing for me yeah. to get to talk to her. That sounds uh, awesome. A Couldn't
2: help but notice my invitation was lost in the mail.
1: No, it wasn't Lost. Uh, I, I took it. I took it, and I burned it, and I took the, the podcast spot. You for burn myself. my invitation. Yeah, you know what? Yeah. We're still going to have
2: our Sun and Jin reconciliation at the end. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, fi-
1: we'll figure it out. We'll, 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 we'll get past that at some point. <laughs> uh, but really fun podcast worth checking out, uh, so so give that a listen. I love what they do over there on the storm. Uh, they, they separate everything's out into a calm section, which is all spoiler-free for people who are discovering Lost for the first time, and then they've got a, typically a weekly interview that breaks things up, and that's typically spoiler free as well, as our conversation was, uh, and then they have uh, a big spoiler-filled deep dive after the fact. Uh, so it's really good for rewatchers of all shapes and sizes, where, of course, our podcast is really for the people <laughs> who have seen the show uh, or don't mind getting spoiled. By the way, I, re- I was looking through the, the Post Show Recaps feedback uh, channel mm-hmm. uh, relatively recently, and we received a piece of uh, angry feedback from somebody mm-hmm. who was like, it's February 9th, and you're still mentioning that the Lost Down the Hatch podcast is a spoiler filled rewatch podcast i'm very disappointed in you and my reaction to that was really this is what you're choosing to be disappointed <laughs> is this by the line you draw <laughs> This is this is your line. That's what you're coming with and leaving with. Uh, and then the other thing is, like, every once in a while, I feel like it's worth you know mentioning that yeah, this is the spoiler filled Lost rewatch podcast. In case there's new people along the way who right. are discovering us, and they're like, oh, I'm getting into Lost. I want to see what that's all about. And then they wander into our podcast, and we tell them that Jack dies at the end of the series, and they're like, oh shit! Like, you know, like we want to make sure that we're being new user friendly at least from time to time. And I think when we're attaching it to the big episodes too. Uh, I think it's, it's worth doing. So we'll still be talking about how this is a spoiler-filled podcast. And and until the end, warnings. literally. Until the end. So get used to it, feedback sender, uh, who I assume will not write in again. But maybe you will. And if so, you're still welcome here. Mm-hmm. I just found it. Particularly odd. Uh, all right, let's go forth into Jungle. Let's talk about The Hunting Party, directed by, once again, Stephen Williams, prolific director here on Lost. Uh, the writing team of Elizabeth Sarnoff and Christina M. Kim uh, centers on Jack Shepard, his fifth flashback episode, and it originally airs on January 18th, 2006, a day that shall live in infamy within the Bloom household.
2: Yeah, at least to like a couple of us. I think my, <laughs> my dad was, and sister were sort of like begrudgingly sitting there, like, Okay, first we have to sit through them watching and talking about Lost, now we have to listen to Lost, (laughs) like it's the freaking, I don't know, the Lone Ranger, like we're back in the 1940s, fine, I'll do it. So it just proves the, the love that my family possesses, maybe not as bastardized as the love that Christian Shepard shows towards Jack, but a different type of love.
1: All right, let's talk about the episode. Let's get into the... It begins with a flashback. So Mm. right off the jump, you're like, all right, it's a Jack episode, cool. Uh, And it begins with Jack, and he is at a hospital, and he's studying um, some x-rays. And it's this Italian man, uh, Angelo, and his daughter, Gabriella, uh, two of the the most underrated characters in Lost History. Why? Uh, They're not. They're not.
2: (laughs) I I also uh, read that, you know, there's always a thing you wonder when, like, characters speak foreign languages what do they speak in the translation of that particular language apparently in the italian version of lost they are french so i'm not sure what their french names are unless they're just the same names and they happen to be italians who speak french
1: very strange uh angelo has a tumor on his spine um and uh they, they've come to to jack and christian they've researched jack uh, they knew that uh they knew what happened with Sarah that he fixed a woman with a crushed spinal column uh, that it was an impossible surgery, but now miraculously she's walking um and even though it was very different circumstances, that's what Jack and Christian are trying to argue. uh Gabriella really insists like but it was a miracle, right mm. uh, and everything you know my father's he he understands that like there's you know that this is unlikely that the odds are low but we want to take the gamble. We want to take the risk and you're the guys that we want to ride with.
2: Yeah, and you know, Christian is the one that really vocalizes the more pragmatic approach. What your father is looking for is not a surgical procedure, what he's looking for is a miracle. And you know, when you look at people's core philosophies, oftentimes the apple does not fall far from the tree, especially when Kate is climbing it. And you get to see here again, we have done a Deep dive many, many times into Jack's philosophy, specifically in his previous flashback episode, Man of Science, Man of Faith. And I feel like Christian is probably one of the main reasons why Jack is so pragmatic right up until, you know, he comes to the island and experiences all this and that he is really vocalizing that. Also, I don't know, do we call Jack, like, is it Jackton, Texas, in terms of providing miracles, but not exactly having any sort of resources behind why the miracle happened? is that a leftovers
1: reference it was an attempt to it was definitely an attempt (laughs) i I would say one of the wires that's currently surrounding you has been cut no Uh, no well (laughs) probably
2: wasn't the red one yeah yeah
1: so we're we're getting close to a full bloom explosion here uh a a line that stood out to me uh is i believe it's christian who says this about angelo uh he is not a candidate (gasps) for surgery
2: yeah, maybe maybe Christian Shepard's office has a bunch of names scrawled on the walls of people that are candidates for surgery, and um, <laughs> Angelo is not one of them.
1: Dow and Cervo, if you are listening, which I believe and hope you are, uh, you now have to go back and start rewatching Lost from the very beginning, and in addition to your dude count, we want you to be uh, tracking every time the word candidate mm. has been used on Lost so far. I wonder if this is the first Does that
2: time. Do we count half points if someone says candy or date? to be parts uh, of the word.
1: I would like that to be tracked, but it won't track. Uh, it won't count officially. But I would like to know how many times the words "candy" and "date" have also been used. That's for a separate purpose. Yeah,
2: though. that's a, for, for a, a separate podcast that we're doing. Uh, I, I, I wonder, Josh, had if if Angelo had an asshole fiance played by Anson Mount. Do you think Jack would try to operate? Do you think he'd hop more on board than he ends up doing here?
1: No, but I think that there is something where, like, Jack has to fall in love a little bit in order to try something impossible. He has to,
2: oddly enough, throw his heart into it if he really wants to, you know, operate on those backs.
1: Yeah, it's very strange. Uh, We'll talk more about the Gabriella saga as we go through. Uh, Jack's going to accept the mission. Mission accepted. Uh, Christian clearly is not a big fan of what's going on here. And uh, one of the few times, up to this point at least, that I think you and I are both going to be like... Yeah, Christian's right. Yeah, <laughs> Christian's this, this like, <laughs> is
2: this is like, not to spoil the 30, 20 of the points, like, this is not a bad Christian Shepherd episode, which by default makes it a pretty good Christian Shepherd yeah. episode.
1: Um, all right, so back on the island, uh, Jack's going to wake up in a lurch uh, from uh, maybe he's dreaming of this, maybe he's dreaming about Angela and Gabrielle, but he's in the bunk beds and he hears a sound and some shenanigans ensue, Mike Bloom.
2: Yes, so let's get into sound number one, Michael escapes. Dot. 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 Again. John,
0: stay in there. Stay. Michael, what are you? What stay do you... in there, Jack. Hey,
1: whatever's going on. Look,
0: I'm going after my son.
1: I'm going after my son, and nobody is going to stop me. Okay? Okay. That is my right. That is
0: a father's right. There's another way to go. Get in the damn Don't shoot me, Michael. No, but I'll shoot your damn computer. Nothing is not what you think it is anyway. You don't understand,
1: man. You don't have any idea. I did not get in there.
0: Mike, Mike, listen. We can do this together, okay? I'll come with you. No, I have to do it now. I have to do it alone.
1: And that was the last we ever saw of Michael Dawson. He never came back. Never shot anybody, everything was good. He reunited with Walt. We didn't have to see it, and they just got to escape, and that's it.
2: Yeah, I mean, as facetiously as you say, this is the last time we see Michael until the the very end of SOS, which I know that Harold Perrineau was not particularly happy about. I do think that's maybe one of the weaker points of Season 2 on the whole, is that they just sort of get rid of this character For quite some time, but yeah, I mean, I I was bearing uh, a lot of comparisons, at least mentally, between this and Ooh and Found, in that Michael happens to get out of dodge at both points. So you know, it does seem a little repetitive that he's doing it once again. But this definitely has a different tone to it, right? Like that other one was more so out of desperation. He heard that the others were there, and so he is, you know, just running, looking to find him again, or at least have a talk. Here, we'll find out in three minutes, he was given specific instructions as to where he needed to go and what he needed to do. So I feel like there is more adamancy here. There is more, uh, he is more on the offense to the point where he holds Jack at gunpoint and locks him in the armory before taking off.
1: Yeah, so it's gonna be seven full episodes without uh, Michael Dawson sighting. Uh, Two months! Almost... Almost eight, if you count the fact that he's only in the very end of SOS. If you don't count that, then it's eight full episodes without Michael Dawson. Uh, magic lost number. Um, yeah, he has specific instructions that he's been getting uh, from somebody who could who could potentially be catfishing him. <laughs> as Walt, Uh, and I know that the instructions are, you got to do this alone, and Michael is very desperate, and I have tried very hard, Mike Bloom, to not judge Michael too harshly for making the hasty decisions, he's grieving, he's looking for any chance that he can get at finding his son, but he's got, like, he's got the expert hunter John Locke with him, he's got... They they almost got Ethan, if not for the fact that Charlie went renegade. Mm-hmm. Like They might be able to pull this off if he just talks to a few additional people about what's going on. And I I think it's here that Michael, everything that happens that's bad for Michael starts from this moment. Well, I mean, you know, uh, look no further not than, good. I know it's this not is
2: hindsight, but look no further than Live Together, Die Alone. Then the finale, when he admits to all this stuff, and still these people are like, yeah, I guess we'll go with you. Yeah, granted, there there's more emotional depth to that. But to your point, it seems like 815 is easier to convince to do this type of stuff that maybe Michael was thinking. And maybe that's because he spent so much time away from them. Maybe, you know, he has this line, you don't understand, man. You don't have any idea. I know he's speaking about the computer, but I feel like he's also sort of talking about his own experience. Like, I'm the only one who's really a father out here. I'm the only one who has a son on the island who is taken. You don't understand my experience. I will also say, if we're talking about, you know, uh, the the tactics that he's using, oh, honey, Michael, they know how to fix that computer.
1: They yeah. already did. You don't need to yeah, threaten the, to the shoot th- the computer. <laughs> A few things on that. One is, like, if that's the threat, I'm going to shoot the computer, then Jack would be like, oh, well, cool, then I'll just call Saeed. And Saeed yeah, exactly. Like, and we have Saeed. He's our, he's our geek squad. So there, there's that. And also, Michael has just uh, admitted, like, I'm not going to shoot you, Jack. And so Jack's first move at that point should be to bum rush Michael. Rush Michael, grab the gun, punch him out. You can do that. Uh, So bad on Jack as well as bad on Michael.
2: Well, and I think Jack is also using a very interesting tactic. And I think we have sort of tracked the understated Michael-Jack relationship throughout Lost to the point where we even addressed it last episode. And I do think Jack is sort of, it's like addressing a hostage. I think he's really trying to appeal to the bond that they have of like, hey, let's work on this together. I can help you. But it seems that Michael is, you know, Far beyond convincing at this point that you're right, Josh, I think maybe Jack didn't realize it at the moment, but I think only through like physical restraint would they have not gotten Michael to go off on his own.
1: The other piece that I know that uh, Harold Perrineau is disappointed with uh, being gone from the show for as long as he's gone here in season two, Uh, this was something that Joanna and I talked about over on The Storm this week. It's really interesting how these two things are connected between this final Michael appearance and then the very famous reintroduction of Michael in two for the road, uh, is I don't think that that twist works nearly as well if you don't have this much time away from Michael because Mm. eight episodes of Island Time, eight episodes of Lost Time is a lot of time for somebody to change as fundamentally as Michael needs to be altered in order to do what he does to Anna Lucia and Libby. Um, So it might be a a bummer, a bummer for Harold Perrineau uh, and certainly ends up being a bummer for Anna Lucia and Libby and ultimately a bummer for Michael as well. Bummers all around. um, But I, but I think for that shock value and for that story twist to land with the impact with which it lands, I do think you need Michael off the board for a while, almost to a point that you, much like the rest of these people have forgotten about Walt to a degree, forget about Michael to a degree. Yeah. Uh, So I think it's very effective in that regard.
2: I do agree that I think, you know, there is like sort of a sweet spot that you want a character to be away for just because we really have to fill in the blanks and we don't get that until an episode. I wonder, do you think this is the right moment? You know, if it had happened maybe an episode or two earlier, because remember, last episode was just all about, you know, Michael learning how to use a gun. If he did it then instead of this episode, does that matter at all? You know, we're about to reach the halfway point of the season. And I definitely want to talk about it at the end of sort of using this as an act break, even though this is not, you know, the last episode of 2005. But I can imagine that, you know, it's a little weird to have, like, one of your characters disappear, you know, at your act ender and then come back for your 11 o'clock number at the very end of the season.
1: I think it, it it totally works for me. Um I've never really had an issue with this piece of it. My issues with Michael uh come later. My issues with Michael come in season 4. Uh my issues my issues with how they tell this story through season two, uh, and from certainly like now, where we are with Michael, I'm pretty solidly fine with. Uh, I think that this is decent timing. I I really like the hunting party. I think this is a good episode, and I, I think that the idea of like Jack running out into the jungle and being very desperate to stop Michael is like such a Jack thing mm-hmm. on a couple of different levels. One that Michael is a buddy of his, and I do think that that's underreported, much like Kurt Clark's position on blackberries. <laughs> like I think that it's uh it's the kind of thing where like you pick that up in the subtleties. Of the performances between Matthew Fox and Harold Perrineau, like the ways in which like Jack and Michael hug each other when they say goodbye and they say hello before and after the raft, uh, uh, the whole mission. Uh, there's like little things like that when they played golf together. Uh, and so Jack, like having this thing of like, I've neglected a relationship, I need to do everything humanly possible to repair that actually parallels pretty nicely with what's going on with Jack and Sarah, more so than I think whatever's happening with Jack and Kate yeah. parallels with what's going on with Jack and Sarah. Uh, and, and that has always been something that, like, the flashback component and how that mirrors what's happening on the island, has that really, really, you know, measured up and matched up for me in repeated viewings of the hunting party? Not really. This is the closest I can get to them aligning. Um, mm-hmm. So I, th- I think, like, the Michael departure here and this coming in a Jack episode and this being about him feeling like i 've let somebody down on something that really is a significant issue, this guy is uh, a father this guy 's kid is is lost i 've just like let the the, 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 the the abduction of a child. Go as like background noise. Like for him, he probably was like not thinking about it as background noise. But the perception, the bedside manner on it has been enough. Uh, and I think that he, uh, as Jack is often want to do, uh, feels the strong need to fix that directly. Um, so all of that works for me in terms of timing. And then I think Michael being gone for as long as he's gone, I think is is almost absolutely necessary for us to believe that he's capable of doing what he does in 2 for the road.
2: Well, yeah. So you speak about, you know, the Jack and... Kate of it all, which I think segues actually really nicely uh not into our next scene, because we do have, you know, a bit of a Jack and Locke talk after the act break here with uh, you know, trying to Jack trying to get a boost up, Locke has been there before, Jack chastising Locke for giving Michael access to a gun. Uh but then we get to, you know, the the Sawyer and Kate of it all. And they're gonna become much more I want to say integral parts, maybe to a certain respect, but they'll be much more major players in this episode than I think a lot of us remember, like you said, is typically a Jack episode with obviously the action orienting around Michael and Kate is definitely, you know, held as the hostage at a certain point, but I certainly had forgotten that Sawyer was another man on the mission, even though you could argue that maybe he shouldn't have been given his condition.
1: Yeah. All right. So let's talk that through a little bit. So we're in the armory Locke wakes up and Jack's like testing him for a concussion and all of that. Uh, Jack's like, all right, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get out of here through the roof. Uh, I'm going to pull a John McClane You can boost me up. I'll go through the thing. And Locke's like, yeah, well, I kind of bolted that. So, uh, yeah, we're not going to be able to to go in that way. So that's great. That's great. Uh, They're also on shift for the next four hours. No one's coming down here. Jack has the line. Better hope Sawyer shows up to get his Band-Aid changed. And then we cut to just an image of Josh Holloway as Sawyer just like passed out. Uh and, and like basically a lawn chair on the beach. Yeah, he's back he's uh, back
2: in his little bungalow. Like he has to see. He's not even reading at this point. Like I think he is just zonked out on painkillers. It's
1: so it's so funny. Uh that cut of uh, all of our hopes hinge on Sawyer coming here to get his band aid changed to Sawyer being on the beach dead asleep is very, very funny to me.
2: I will also say I think in an alternate universe, maybe if Lost gets a more an episode order more akin to like uh, even like a sitcom, which goes on for like 26 episodes, I could very easily see a bottle episode of Jack and Locke in the armory together and just hashing everything out. We've already seen that happen. Uh, you know, it would be essentially relitigating the end of orientation, but I could see a situation like that happen if Lost existed in a very different type of show.
1: So Kate is uh, is gonna give first give Sawyer some bananas. Uh, she doesn't have any rocks to throw at him, so she threw a banana. Imagine at
2: him. if she threw a rock at
1: him, <laughs> <laughs> like and it just like, like broke his teeth. God damn yeah, it! Good thing, good thing we've got a, a dentist on the island now. If that's the case, uh, but we got to go get your bandage. uh bandages changed. So they're gonna go to the to uh, the and Sawyer, and,
2: I mean Sawyer, even stands up seductively. Maybe it's because he's still like a little woozy. But like the way Josh Holloway stands is like. God, so romantic. That's so weird to say, but like, he has, this, he has he, the way he does it, the way he rises out of his chair is very different.
1: Well, as somebody who's currently not sitting in a chair and is going to have a very difficult time standing up from your wire nest, I'm sure that you're very envious of people who who stand seductively at the moment.
2: Yes, exactly. Though I don't want to get, you know, my wires crossed. I am not interested <laughs> in another child at the moment, so please. Not at the
1: moment. Okay, just leave, leave it as is. Asher taking the nap is good enough for you right now. Uh, Kate and Sawyer are going to go to the hatch. Uh, and they're going to figure out that something is wrong. The numbers are going. The The computer needs to be uh, attended to. Jack and John are locked in the armory. Uh, and this is, I think, like Sawyer's first exposure to the armory in any sort of meaningful way. Yeah, I was, was going to
2: say, because I know he- Block gives him the code. I'm trying to remember. I mean, we'll get to the long con in like a couple of weeks. But does he use that to get the guns? I can't remember.
1: No, he, go, he, he institutes a massive long con in order to get the guns. That's the whole point of the episode. So there's going to be, there, I think they're going to re- rechange the combo one or two more times, if I remember right, uh, before Sawyer's able to, to get that code. Uh, but for now, he gets it, uh, you know, desperate times and all that. Um, so they open it up. And I think, like, Sawyer's eyes kind of light up, like, ooh what's in here? <laughs> ooh, look what do look we got?" Is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, then maybe that's when he really wakes up. He's like, Oh, my God. Wait a minute. Yeah.
2: Guns? Maybe that's one reason why he wanted to go out. It's like, I want to get close to the guns.
1: Yeah. Uh, Jack and Locke let everybody know what's going on. Michael's gone. We're going after him. Jack and Locke start uh, arming up. I, I love uh, when
2: Jack says it. Locke gives Jack this look. And L- this is a low-key, very funny episode for Locke. Terry O'Quinn, we hear it a bit in the intro, but I love like the sarcasm and the weariness that he gives this Jack mission. And it happens here when Jack's like, we're going after Michael. And Locke gives him a look that's like, this shit again? really <laughs> we're doing it again uh, yeah. oh, all right yeah. fine i'll get my tracking gear out
1: yeah yeah uh Locke's like oh, Locke's really the guy who forgot all about Walt. i mean <laughs> you yeah know, considering like we talked about this that like Walt was his boy
2: and like you'd think that yeah. once he found out that he was gone he'd be scouring the jungle for him but really his new son is the hatch
1: yeah uh but sawyer wants in too uh he, he, get, he grabs a gun he says i'm coming with you uh and jack says but you're on your anti-antibiotics Uh, And Sawyer says, well, good thing I'm traveling with the doctor then.
2: Yeah, so I know that we're going to get, obviously, some payoff from this with the lock stuff and the this ain't over, Zeke. But this was something that I was never a big fan of, this choice to have Sawyer going after him. I mean, we'll get to the Jin stuff. I think Jin is just the much better choice. And I feel like actually a much more character-enriched choice. I just feel like it makes no sense from Jack's perspective that Sawyer's argument would win out And that they'd be like, sure, injured man, come on this manhunting mission with us. You won't be a liability whatsoever.
1: Yeah, well, I think maybe Jack kind of feels like uh, if Sawyer dies on this mission, then maybe that's like less of a headache. (laughs) <laughs> moving forward it's like all right expendable if we need to have an expendable body here Sawyer's an expendable that's really body.
2: like uh ronnie and billy thinking
1: <laughs> yeah i know maybe I've, I've spent too much time in the in the lost rpg world and i'm applying those tactics to jack uh flashback time um jack is uh, it's very late jack is uh running all these tests on angelo Uh, and gabriella is here does she have a sunglasses tan there's like (laughs) there's like a very noir look to gabriella where like the whole eye area looks like she has uh been wearing like huge sunglasses in like the the baking heat
2: Mm, well she is in california i don't know exactly how the sun compares between italia and la maybe she's now trying to you know get out uh, some misery by trying to get some vitamin D and maybe, you know, she got a little kissed by the sun as she's going to be kissed by Jack later on.
1: There's a very noir quality to Gabriella, where yeah. I think like the way they present her, like literally physically, how how the presentation of the character feels very femme fatale ish. Yeah, which I think is like greatly unfair <laughs> to
2: the character. I know, who just like, wants I, I, her dad, I, yeah, to be okay. I do feel bad about this character because yeah, she is either like portrayed as like this poor grieving woman or someone who's like seducing jack while he's in the middle of his job which is like not the most three-dimensional sketching she almost reminds me a bit i know this is like almost bastardized film noir she reminds me a bit of like isabella rossellini from blue velvet just without all the issues attached she does not have like a dennis hopper type about to walk in and you know accost jack for kissing her
1: now i'm just thinking of uh what if dennis hopper played jack shepherd and that is (laughs) gotta be honest it's a very strange i mean all timeline. i'm thinking is
2: dennis hopper in the super mario brothers movie and i can't get <laughs> that out Koopa. of my head oh my with god with the spiky hair waking up in yeah. the jungle
1: all right well speaking of waking up jack wakes up to the fact that it's four thirty in the morning this is after gabrielle is like oh your wife uh who i've who i've researched I'm thorough, just like you. Uh, she must be very special to let you work until 4.30 in the morning. Jack's like, ah, shit, I gotta get out of here. Uh, it's way too late. And so he goes home, and it's our first Sarah sighting since the season premiere. And uh, why don't we listen in to how awkward this reunion is?
0: Hey. How was he? Hey. Sorry wake up. Uh, I gotta get up anyway. So how is he? About the same. Sarah, I'm sorry. I meant to... I just got... Hey. What's the price of being a miracle worker. Where are you going? I'm gonna go to the gym, and then I got some papers to grade. I didn't want to say anything until I knew either way, but um, I was late, so I got a pregnancy test. Tori. Negative. Do you um you wanna talk about it? What's to talk about? Sarah. i See you
1: later, Jack. Yikes. Uh things have been better. Things have been better between these two. First of all, let's just take the a quick moment to Light golf clap for Julie Bowen. Oh, congratulations. Yes. We are we are recording uh, this week uh, uh, shortly after the Modern Family mm-hmm. series finale has aired. So congratulations on a, a great run there. Yeah, and I would say Phil um,
2: Dunphy, infinitely better spouse than Jack Shepard. I think we can power rank that definitively.
1: You know, uh, in in the afterlife, Jack is a pretty good father, so you can't call him a deadbeat dad, especially because he's not actually a dad. He's kind of a deadbeat husband, though. You know, he's 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 an absentee husband Uh, by his own admission towards the end of the episode. Like, he just has not been paying attention to Sarah at all. There's been this huge communication breakdown between the two of them, and you know, split the hairs all you want in terms of like how you divide and conquer the blame for what has happened to them. I think that. You know, relationships and marriage, uh, any relationship, whether it's a romantic one or not, requires work and requires communication and uh, communication breakdowns can be fixed, but not without a lot of effort. And when you're spending nights at the office working until 4.30 in the morning on something that is almost certainly going to end in tragedy. Like, all the warning signs, all the science is pointing to that, right? With Christian being like, you're not going to be able to do this. Mm -hmm. Like, everybody knowing, like, this is not going to be able to, you know, to work. Um, Jack's priorities are whack, Shepard, to reference the name of a a former Lindelof contributor. Uh, So, it's, it's sad. I really like Sarah... Obviously the whole thing is messy. Yep. Um but this is just it's a very it's a very sad situation that's going on between these two.
2: Yeah, I mean the tone is so different from the very last time we saw these two at the end of Man of Science, Man of Faith, that beautiful scene of the two of them weeping happily. Or even, you know, look at the end of Do No Harm when they get married, and like you can see the joy in their eyes as we as much as Jack wants to admit of like, maybe I'm I'm not doing the right thing necessarily. And My thought is that Jack has already been cheating on Sarah. He's been cheating on her since the moment he got married because he's married to his job. And I think that Sarah is sort of, because we see so much from Jack's perspective in this episode, I think uh, we have to do much more extrapolating from the Sarah side of things. And you have to feel like Sarah is really realizing that he wasn't necessarily in love with her he was in love with the fact that she was another thing to fix. And right. it's almost like a mechanical perspective where, like, once you've found that, it's time to move on to the next thing. And so, yes, of course it makes sense that Jack has wholeheartedly thrown himself into Angelo or to any other people that he's fixing because that's who he is. And she just realized that, like, okay, that was that for me. And you just get so much, you know, given circumstances from the scene and the way the two of them interact, the fact that they are... Two ships passing in the night when it comes to, like, they're not even in bed together at the same time. She gets up. He goes to bed. I'm very intrigued as to see what kind of job entails someone to get up at, like, 4.30 in the morning when he gets home. And she's like, no, I have to be up anyway. I guess she has to go to the gym and grade papers. I guess she's a teacher? Maybe?
1: Right. Uh, but... Uh, I think we I think we find out later that she's a teacher. Uh, I think we, we see that in the Season 3 premiere, I'm mm, pretty sure.
2: But, uh, yeah. obviously, the big eek comes near the end of this scene when sarah tells jack about the pregnancy test that she took and after a very for lack of a better term pregnant pause she responds with don't worry and it's like ooh, you could just feel so much there of like oh no i kept this secret because i knew you wouldn't like this so don't worry and it's on paper it almost sounds comforting like you know your spouse that much but at the same time that's a big old wolf burger to be like, yeah, don't worry. I know you don't like children, so you don't need to worry about it.
1: Yeah, and I wonder if it's even that or if it's like, I think, you know, becoming a father, not a nothing deal for anybody. Amen. I think for Jack— yeah, I think for Jack and the heaviness he feels towards his father, I think it would be an especially heavy deal for for this type of a character. Um so I think it's it's even less about like I don't want to be a dad necessarily and maybe more about um like bracing himself for a big reveal. And then when she says don't worry it's negative, uh he's both processing like the fact like okay so this isn't happening and also oh my god, she didn't tell me about it and like now he's trying to like get her to open up about something that could you know very likely be a very painful thing for her Uh, and she doesn't want to have that conversation so the 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 communication channels have completely broken down between these two characters and i think that leads us very nicely into talking about what's going on with jack and Mm. kate because i don't think it's going to be much of a spoiler to 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 read down the line mike and and look at the the uh the mvp lvps this week i think that both uh, kate and jack uh they're both going to get docked this week a point and i think that that's pretty obvious like Kate goes off and gets captured. Uh, Jack is kind of an asshole to Kate. Uh, he also and cheats also, on his wife. He also cheats on his wife and botches the surgery and gets a guy killed. Uh, I mean, he knew that that was probably going to happen anyway, so at least he tried. Uh, so, like, I think like a demerit for those characters this week. I'm I'm not fully against, but I, I think I it I I, I want to make clear why I think. I believe both of those characters are worthy of LVP points this week in an episode where uh, there aren't too many better options. Mm-hmm. There are other options, and uh, we will point those Most out Most of them are Italian. Uh, one of them certainly is because he dies. Spoiler alert. Sorry, Angelo. Uh, but I, I think it's this communication thing because they, they get out of the hatch. Locke sees the boot prints. They've got a trail. They're going to go. Kate wants a gun. She wants to join. And Jack says, no, you have to stay. Someone has to be here to take care of the button. And Kate's like, why me? I'm a tracker. Do you not remember me taking you to find Charlie? But mm-hmm. she doesn't say that. They don't really have a conversation. Jack says, "You're not coming. You're staying." And whether or not this is like residual awkwardness from what happened in what Kate did, and like the making out in the jungle that was very sinister and ominous and weird. Or whatever, it's a full breakdown in communication between Jack and Kate. And these two people work really well when they're in concert with one another. They are not in concert together right now. And so Kate, I think very rightfully, is going to decide, like, I'm going off into the jungle. And I think, like, in some ways, there is an argument to be made that Kate actually deserves an MVP point this week. Because Kate goes all the way from the hatch to the beach to tell Hurley that this is happening and these people went off, and then she goes back to the hatch and follows the Jack and Locke and Sawyer path so thoroughly and so well that she's going to get to the exact spot on the island where she needs to be kidnapped in order to be part of the Mr. Friendly conversation. That actually does require a certain amount of skill, but it's the lack of communication between her and Jack that I think both of them are fostering here um, that that gives them both uh, a drawbacks here and i actually think that jack is uh by far the guiltier party of the two of them even though kate is going to be the one who gets herself kidnapped here i think jack can really just like say like i trust you you know about the button there's literally nobody else here right now uh take care of the button hopefully somebody comes soon when they come follow our trail uh and be our backup there you go that's the move.
2: I do I do think the approach was definitely wanting. I agree that essentially her asking why and he just said because is not a good thing. Especially to someone like Kate who is so, you know, can be so stubborn at some points when she's, you know, told to not do something as Jack will sort of admonish him later for. I also feel like it doesn't help that, like, Sawyer's going with them and she's like, I gotta be better than the guy with one working shoulder Right. right? So maybe he should have sent them both back. Maybe he should have been like, Saeed should come with us. Where's Saeed been? I want Saeed to come with us, because he seems like a pretty good guy, or like... He's grieving,
1: you know, he's, he's busy.
2: Yeah, it's, it's just, you know, it, it does seem like, at least, when we get the Jack and Sawyer conversation coming up in the next scene, that, like, it, it we're supposed to extrapolate that it was something connected to what happened with the kiss. I really don't want that to be the case, because I don't want Jack to be, like, that, you know, petty... That he'd be like, yeah, you. I, Sawyer said that you he loved you, and I don't want to put you two together to make googly eyes at each other. So you need to stay back. But it's not a good approach. I will agree that you know Kate's running skills are sublime, but I still think that like going out on someone's trail when you know that they are meet- possibly meeting up with the others is not a good idea. Considering you could end up in the exact same situation that she does end up in.
1: Yeah, well, it should be continuing the communication conversation. She should communicate, like, to Jin and Son effectively. Like, uh, can I borrow Jin? Yeah, I was going to say, like, or, like even, 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 like, even, like, Son, you love to go on walks. Will you help? Like, you know, bring a couple people. Oh, she would, she absolutely could have,
2: like, pulled a Michael and made a B team here. I totally agree.
1: Totally, totally, absolutely. Uh, I thought they would see us. Actually, uh, whatever. Sorry, sorry. Just to pull in some Charlie here. Uh, All right, so that, that's so, your own Jackton moment. So, so, so Jack and Locke and Sawyer, aka James, uh, they're going through the jungle. Uh, Jack calls uh It's like, what does she do to you? Uh, why'd you yell at her? And he's like, stop it. I know you love her. And he's like, what? How do you know that? <laughs> I, was, I swear left that left was Wayne. No, it was Wayne. Wayne loves her. Did you hear I got possessed by a ghost? There was a horse. Uh, and so Locke asks Sawyer, I thought, a very funny question. like, does any of this look familiar? And like on a meta level, it should look familiar because this is Kualoa Ranch right? where like, they film like, this big valley. So it like, almost always, or often at least, looks like this. Uh, and Sawyer has the great part where he's like, where it's, like what side was the ocean on? It just like kind of like points left like it feels like maybe that was a guess yeah this, uh. and this
2: is why sawyer was a terrible choice of like hey do you know does anything look familiar to me? yeah when i was you know half feverish and delirious and on my deathbed of course i remember the topography around me though i do love the line yeah that's my favorite leaf only because i wish the leaf would transform into michael <laughs> right there right then
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like damn you found him. how did you
2: know uh, <laughs> I, I i do find it interesting though good on lock for his orientation skills that he was able to figure out where michael was going to where sawyer pointed out where the ocean was considering that, like, they're on an island, the ocean is theoretically everywhere around them. So, good on Locke for being able to discern a trail based on that.
1: John Locke has a great episode here. I this think this is a fun uh, episode for Locke. Yeah. I think for me bounce back week for John Locke. It's ranch under the bridge as far as Oh I no.
2: Ew, don't put that image <laughs> in.
1: <laughs> it's just spilling out into the water. Uh all right, so back at the beach, uh Jin and Sun are gonna watch as Kate and Hurley are talking, and obviously Kate's catching Hurley up and then she's gonna she's gonna uh zoom off into the jungle. Uh meanwhile Sun is making Jin wear this hat. He pulls it off and it's it's great. I think it's great, and, and Hurley likes the look too. He's a big fan. Uh, he's going to catch them all up on uh, on what happened. Yeah, this is true um, to Hurley.
2: As, Ar, as late R said, if you want to keep something secret, don't tell the fat guy. And he immediately walks t- <laughs> over and just spills everything. Do we think that Jin obviously is like slowly on the way to speaking English? Do you think he was just able to hear like Michael and like the body language that Kate and Hurley had, and, and, he hears, and due to he previous hears experience, wall. just yeah. assume the same thing happened again?
1: Yeah, I think that he he's able to figure that out, and then he's like starting to to rip off to go, and Son's like, "Nope, you are not doing that." Uh, do you have any idea how worried I was for you while you were on the raft? Like, I never knew if you were dead or alive. That's not happening again. I will not go through that again. It's like, well, you will uh, eventually, but, but right right now, no. And and he's like, "But Michael's my friend." She's like, "Yeah, I'm your wife." Yeah, this is this is an interesting scene. Obviously, we'll have another little
2: like Quan bookend here because I feel like this is one of those rare situations where like they're both right in that again I feel like if you're picking someone from the raft expedition to take on this Jin is by far the better choice considering he was able to find Michael before he was able to convince Michael to come back before instead of somebody like Sawyer but Sun makes a good point of like you can't just repeat this all over again I went through a lot of trauma and I feel like it actually really nicely sets up live together die alone where Jin's gonna try to do the same thing and Sun insists on going along. Right. I wonder if this episode took place in Season 3 somehow, if Sun some would have instead volunteered that she go along with them rather than Jin stay back.
1: Uh, and I will also say, uh, we're just spoiling the MVP-LVP points uh, section yeah, left we'll and we'll right here. We'll just skip here. that
2: section entirely. It's been all well, painted we'll out. probably
1: we'll breeze through it. Uh, that I think I'm, I'm going to be giving some points to Jin and Sun this week wow. for the exact opposite reason as, uh, as I think we're going to be docking Jack and Kate. Because they communicate effectively in this episode. Sun says, I understand Michael's important to you, but you're not leaving me alone again. Mm -hmm. And Jin does it, and Jin expresses to her, like, I don't like being told what to do. And Sun says, cool, so that's all you ever did with me for five years, and it sucked. Doesn't this suck? And Jin's like, yeah, this sucks. And, like, holds her in for a hug, as in, like, yeah, I'll stop doing that. Uh, and he, he's, you know, he's he's an imperfect person. They're all imperfect people, uh, and it's not going to last forever. Uh, but at least in this episode, this is a functioning relationship. Yeah, this is like a this is what you want a relationship to be.
2: Though, I mean, I guess uh, Son will be chairing, channeling a bit of Sarah later on when she finds out she's pregnant and doesn't tell Jin for a little bit
1: yeah you know again imperfect imperfect uh, not everybody always following their own rules but john and jack uh and sawyer they're following the trail uh and let's listen in on how that is going because i think there's a very good conversation that uh ensues he's still
0: heading north yep you think he's lost doesn't seem to be trails as straight as the interstate The path of a man who knows where he's going Where are you going, Jack? What? Well, let's say we catch up with him, Michael. What are you going to do? I'm going to bring him back. What if he doesn't want to come back? (laughs) I'll talk him into coming back. (laughs) This is the second time he's gone after Walt. He knocked me out. He locked us both up. Something tells me he might be past listening to reason. What, you think we should just let him go? Write him off? Who are we to tell anyone what they can or can't do?
2: Especially if they're in a wheelchair. <laughs>
1: can you imagine if Locke had said his signature line to Troy back in Walkabout uh, to, to Rick Romer at the, at the, at the spot? Uh, and instead of like howling angrily at him, if he just like, looked him in the eye and said, Now, sir. Who are you to tell me what I can and can't do?
2: Yeah, I. This is an interesting Locke scene for a number of reasons. First, he is definitively like if we're again if we're comparing this to Ooh and found the first time that Michael ran away from home. Jack is definitely the gin. Locke is very firmly the Anna Lucia, right? Of like, who cares? We have better, bigger, and better things to move on to. And I think it's a really interesting perspective, and I guess it's more so this idea of like. It's his choice. And Lucia's perspective was more so like he's dead weight. He's going to get us in trouble. Whereas Locke is like, he has his own path. That's clearly not our path. It's fine. But let's talk about you, Jack for a second.
1: Yeah. Uh, Let's just, let's just have a moment here. Yeah. It's been a while since they've had, it's been a while Uh, just to bring it back to sustained. It's been a while since Jack and Locke have been able to have like a calm version of this type of philosophical debate And so, like, you can imagine Jack is sort of just like, not now, damn it. But Locke's like, if not now, when? Exactly. We have to talk about this now. Uh, Yeah. Flashback, uh, speaking of fatherly advice, uh, Jack is, uh, I guess, Angelo's getting ready for surgery. Jack says, I haven't changed my mind. I'm just giving you the advice that, like... We don't have to do this, and your dad would be fine for a year. He'd be able to live a normal life for at least another year. And then she's just like, nah, we're just going to do it. So she signs the papers. Do you
2: think, perhaps, that Gabriella wanted, like, a shot at Angelo's inheritance?
1: Oh, God. And that's well, why she was so relentlessly pursuing, like, no, we must have the surgery. This guy's a
2: miracle worker. Like, who's to say that she poured through all those journals, which I'm assuming showed a lot of, like, dubious nature as to, like, wow, we can't believe that this happened. She's like... I really want all that Lyra.
1: Yeah, what if Gabriella very specifically A wanted her father to die so she could inherit his fortune and B very specifically wanted to break up Jack and Sarah. Wow, uh, this might be the most case, evil character we've ever encountered on Lost. In which case, is it possible that she's the smoke monster?
2: Wow. Well, she is smoking. Like, she does have that smokiness to her, as you said. So maybe we'll have to
1: give her all of our MVP points. uh, For being able to, I mean, she was able to accomplish it. So I
2: I suppose... Watch out,
1: Mr. Echo. Gabriella's coming for you. (laughs) Yes,
2: the current MVP is Gabriella, alias the Smoke Monster,
1: (laughs) with the one appearance on Lost. Uh, Christian's going to walk in before Jack starts scrubbing in. And, like, he, the, the tension. It's in the air you could cut it with a knife the sexual: tension Much like Jack
2: angel and hair pasta on your back.:
1: Much like: yes, absolutely. So Jack and Christian are going to have a conversation. Uh, let's listen in to some fatherly advice from Dr. Shepard, the senior
0: ITR reports need to be signed by you as chief resident What. Careful. There's a line sign, you know it's there. Pretending it's not, that would be a mistake. Guess you would know. Maybe okay for some people, Jack, but
2: not for you. So this is like.
1: Super small scenes, super small interactions. Less than, a- but there's a there's a lot packed yeah. into there. There's there's some real mythology that's packed into there. And I actually think we could probably kill two birds with, I guess they're, they're different stones or different bananas, if you will, right now. <laughs> that I, I I I know we have the next sound is actually coming up right next, which I think let's play it now because I think we can have this conversation in 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 one piece where it's. Uh, so this was a Jack and Christian conversation about a big secret that Christian is sitting on that Jack has that at least a little bit of a hint towards mm-hmm. and this next scene is going to be uh, Jack and Locke and Sawyer are still in the jungle now they're climbing along and Sawyer and Locke are going to have one of their very uh, first conversations that I can really remember uh, great dynamic between these characters as the series goes on um, but one that's also going to be speaking to the mythology and these scenes are happening back to back let's play uh, sound number five and then we'll talk about it all in one shot
0: you sure Mike went this way why'd you ask Oh, I don't know, Mr. Clean. I probably would have gone around Mount Vesuvius. Why'd you pick that name? Ain't it obvious? All oh, you need is ring a mop. No, your name. Why'd you pick Sawyer? What do you mean, pick? After the census, Hurley gave me the flight manifest. Your name is James, right? James Ford. What's it to you? Just an interesting name to choose is all. Who'd you get it from? Who says I got it from anybody?
1: And then gunshots ring out, but we won't play those. So much tap dancing here, right? Where where we, uh, we have the benefit of hindsight. We've watched Lost mm-hmm. or you like the spoilers. And so you're here. Spoiler warning, by the way. Uh... So we know that we know that Christian uh, has cheated on his wife, uh, had an affair with a woman in Australia, and is Claire's father. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack does not know that piece of it yet, but Jack clearly knows. That there is some philandering going on with Christian, at least, to a certain degree. Because Christian's talking about there's a line, you know it's there, pretending it's not is a mistake. And that's where Jack says, well, I guess you would know. So, like, it's very clear that, like, he knows that Christian has been um, unfaithful to his wife, to Jack's mother. Um, and here in the in the scene in the jungle... Lock talking about the the nickname Mr. Clean talking about the Sawyer nickname uh whether or not he knows outright that James Ford's father is or uh the the man that James Ford gets his name from is Lock's own father probably not quite yet but is it impossible that he knows that Sawyer is an alias of his dad at this point mm. and that it could just be another thing that's bonding the two of them it's possible in either event This episode gets really remembered best for the big scene with Mr. Friendly and everything coming up. But this episode is uh, like a a point within like, I don't know the terms for how you knit stuff, Mike, or when you're crocheting. But it's like that part of the thing where you're putting the needles through. they're, they're They're
2: knitting one and they're purling two here
1: they're plunging through, right? Like, this episode is providing us with a real great base layer for two of the bigger uh, character mythology reveals of Jack and Claire being siblings and Locke and Sawyer being connected through this horrible, horrible man, Anthony Cooper.
2: Yeah, so obviously, I think the Christian Shepard one was definitely set up in the writer's room. We're going to get two for the road, as you just witnessed, uh, later on in this season. So that makes sense. I do wonder how much... The Anthony Cooper stuff was on the board at the moment it happened. You know, is this purely coincidence or do you think this was something where they're like, "Okay, this happens to be the same guy? I don't know when we're going to get to it, maybe in a season three episode called The Brig, but let's sort of hint towards it right now. Or do you think maybe it's a scene of like, hey, Locke is showing how mystical and all knowing he is and that he found Sawyer's name through the manifest?
1: No, I think they know. I think they know at this point. Makes a lot of sense to me that they would know. Um, that they would know that they're you know they're digging in deeper. Here they are in season two. The character work has been really top notch so far, uh, and this is just it. One of the reasons why that twist works so well is because it's one of those things that is so obvious you have to do it. Uh, that Sawyer is a guy who uh, has lived his entire life pursuing vengeance against this man who uh got his his you know who ruined his whole family who got his parents killed essentially and he took the guy's name on his vengeance quest and Locke is a man who's ru- who's been ruined by his father who is a con man right. as well it's just so easy to stitch those two things together especially if thematically the idea of lost is we got to live together or else we die alone. We have to come together in order to achieve our problems. And often, um, even though we seem so different, even though we seem like we come from so many different worlds, we're so much closer than we know. We're so much closer than we realize. Sometimes that, uh, idea is explored in, in deeply on the nose fashion to the point of like smelling a little turdy. Uh, but I, I think often it's on the nose in a way where like you are pleasantly scratched. Scratching your nose like ah i got that that feels satisfying to itch mm. uh i think that this is one of those cases
2: yes nothing like pleasant nose scratching to be the quintessential image Genuinely, uh, but very going, going back i'm gonna go back to the jack and christian scene because what i really like about this moment is that it's what makes loss so good in that you know what christian is espousing is a platitude that any other character could say right <laughs> don't cheat on your wife seems common sense but there's so much character baked into both men here that Jack does not follow that advice. You know, he feels that Christian does not practice what he preaches, which he does not. It also feels like, you know, when Christian says it may be okay for some people, Jack, but not for you, it very much reeked to me of during White Rabbit, the very first time we saw Christian Shepherd of the you just don't have what it takes. It's essentially telling Jack, like, yeah, this isn't for you. I can do this, but you're definitely not capable of doing it. So from that perspective, Christian almost, I don't know, the he almost ends up executing the opposite of what he intends. And in that it almost seems like he's accidentally challenging Jack to do yeah. something like this. And so it's one of those things where, again, Christian Shepard is giving very solid advice here. Do as I say, not as I do. But because of the relationship these two have, and specifically the the image that Christian has played in Jack's life for so long, it is viewed completely differently and not only summarily ignored but also perverted so the exact opposite happens
1: all right so uh let's let's go back to the jungle gunshots gunshots seven of them to be precise yes, which we will find uh, out more
2: about i believe that's when uh, old danny pickett is trying to shoot michael right as he runs away yeah and
1: michael's like shooting back and it's all very sloppy and then uh, here and then like-
2: mr friendly future MVP candidate for that episode as well, comes in with the bola at the 11th hour. <laughs> yeah,
1: he's just going to be able to totally knock him out. I, love, I feel, Others are such a mystery. Even now, it's like, if you guys have houses, why are you using slingshots when you're out on the field? And if you also have these like darts that can paralyze people, why are you throwing rocks? At least throw, like, at get least a, throw banana a banana gun. Yeah, yeah. yeah pull, pull a Diddy <laughs> Kong, grab a banana shooter. Oh, my God. Yeah, a banana gun would be would be the right way to go. Uh so they run off in the direction of the bullets, they see a bullet mark of the tree. Uh and uh, uh Sawyer's like making it clear He wants vengeance. Jack's like, You're out here for some payback. And Mike uh Sawyer's like, Well then why are you out here, Doc? You got your reasons, I got mine. Uh and I'm Team Sawyer here. Uh I think like it'll ultimately bear out. When Sawyer kills Mr. Friendly, what he's going to say to him is like, that's for taking the kid right. off the boat. Uh, it's not just payback, you know? It's like justice for a kid who, who you traumatized. Uh, this is a weak spot for Sawyer. Weak spot is the is, is a bad way of describing something that's like a strength of his, is, uh, you know, children are, are a vulnerability for him. They're innocence. Like, even when he said what he said to Walt last season in Exodus, we even talked about it there. Where it's like, that's not really how he feels. Mm-hmm. Uh, he feels like such a kid himself, and he Watch this poor kid get traumatized. That's why he's out here is he wants if there's an actual chance at saving this kid's life. I think he wants to take it. But, uh, but what but, is Jack out here for is a much murkier proposition but to I take
2: think. Jack's side a bit. The last time there was a guy in on the plan for revenge, he gunned down another and disobeyed orders. So I do feel like from a certain perspective, Jack is looking historically and feeling like, I do not want any trigger-happy people seeking vengeance on my mission because that's how you're going to get a jungle filled with gun down others, and then we're back where we started.
1: Totally. Um, fair enough. Absolutely fair. Uh, speaking of uh, walking towards bullets and that being dangerous, uh, in the past, poor Angelo. He's he's met the proverbial bullet, Mike. Uh, did not work out. Jack's upset. Uh, the surgery. He, I had it, dad. I had it all.
2: I mean, seven and a half hours. I mean, obviously, uh, this is a time where we give all the kudos in the world to uh, medical workers out there. But I mean, I cannot imagine doing a single activity for 7.5 hours straight, let alone a life and death situation like this.
1: I believe you and I are still holding the record within the uh, RHAP, Post Show Recaps, Reality TV, wrap Ups, Extended Universe for longest podcast ever recorded. But uh, Shannon, uh, the great Shannon Gus, very recently came for our crown. Uh, I think we're still out in front of her, but barely. Uh, but none of us have broached seven and a half hours. Uh, that's going to be the, like the eventual telethon that we do. <laughs> uh in order for for some charitable cause uh which i think is actually as i say it both a terrible and excellent <laughs> idea it's
2: got both uh, sides going on
1: you know uh we'll be will be great someday uh but yeah seven and a half hours of surgery it's intense uh obviously it didn't work out uh and christian has already uh gone ahead and told Gabriella what's gone on uh he tells jack lest you forget i'm still chief of surgery so Get on out of here. She's gone. Yeah, and well, I mean, he's
2: going to get on out of there, but, you know, ha- somebody happens to also be on out of there as well.
1: Yeah, Jack's going to go out to the parking lot, like, dressed to make out. Yeah. Uh, he's got this sexy-ass red shirt on. Yeah, baby. I, I hope it great. wasn't
2: white when he walked in. You know, it's just covered in <laughs> Angelo's blood, lock style.
1: I mean, if that's the case, it doesn't seem to bother Gabriella at all. And if we are uh, supposing that Gabriella is yeah, the I think stealth- that's more of a bad guy on lost... She's like, "Mm, my dad's blood. Yes. Uh, But no, it's actually just like he just looks great and she's sad and she's like, thank you for trying. And and then they make out and it's awkward and Jack is like, no, I can't do this. I'm freaking out. I can't. It's like, man, you really let her on. It's it's such a weird
2: dichotomy between them because it's almost like an emotional affair. Initially, like, again, Jack is married to his job, but I think she was definitely trying to appeal to him through said job and... I I do not know why he approaches her the way he does in this moment. Like, she is clearly grieving. Is he doing this out of comfort? And it got too far. Is he doing it out of his own comfort? Let's remember that he is also in a very emotionally vulnerable place at this point. Something that he couldn't fix. He wasn't able to. We know that's a problem with Jack. Was it just a moment where they happened to find each other? Was this something simmering below the surface? I really can't tell. I guess I'll give Jack, like, a modicum of credit that he at least pulls away before things get further. But these are just strange, strange motives for both of these parties.
1: And it is just worth noting that Jack looks fantastic. He really, really does. The red shirt, oh, my God. I mean, he's not really pulling that off on the island. And actually, the red button-down dress shirt doesn't look so great on the island. It's one of my biggest Desmond critiques. Mm-hmm. He's going to come back at the end of the show with the big red dress shirt, and I think he looks bad. Uh, But here off-island, I think Jack looks great. Right.
2: They're sort of like on-island wear and off-island wear, and I think that, you know, let's let's put the collared red shirt in, like, the definitive off-island wear. And I think Jack rocks (laughs) bandanas better on-island than off-island if we're sort of, you know, balancing them out.
1: All right, so uh back on the ju- in the jungle, it's nighttime now. This is the scene we heard at the top of the episode. Although uh there is the great the great line I just want to reemphasize from Locke, yes. uh where he's saying like, uh what they're like you lost him. He's like he's a man, not a boar. Uh but uh yeah, Locke has lost Michael, he's lost the oh. trail uh, and Jack and Locke start bickering and that's when Mr. Friendly announces himself. Uh and it's it's scary stuff. Here he is with the beard. And it's MC Ganey, who's an actor I love. And it's great to see him back on the show in this moment. And, uh, you know, it's, it's 11 episodes now past we, when we saw him in Exodus. And we've been waiting. And up until now... You know, our faces of evil were Ethan and he's gone, then Goodwin, and really Mr. Friendly is like the king of the others as far as we know at this point. We know that that's definitely not the case now, um, but to to get him here as like the avatar for the others and to have the most recognizable other, the person who's associated with one of the greatest nightmarish incidents of Lost up to this point, uh, returning in this capacity, it's just the making of a really great dramatic scene. All right, and speaking of instantly iconic, uh, would you believe me, folks, if I told you that in the time that I said bringing Mr. Friendly back into the show in this context uh, has the makings for an instantly iconic lost scene, that on uh, the other side of this podcast, uh, a different microphone some miles away from, from where I am currently recording, Mike Bloom, surrounded by a nest of wires who famously was unable to watch the hunting party when the hunting party first aired, experienced a blackout (laughs) in his home. Uh, Mike! i think this episode you, this episode is cursed josh i think this <laughs> the episodes with the magic of editing that's seamless for people listening to hunting this party's bad like a, the hunting party's bad <laughs> for a solid seven minutes seven minutes like seven bullets and seven and a half hours uh seven minutes you were gone you're
2: <laughs> I, like this is now episode is now forever associated with blackouts for yeah. me Oh my god, are you doing okay? I mean, I'm, I'm doing fine. I've just been sitting here on my nest of Do you need to move
1: the nest of wires cuz I don't want you to no, die. I no, mean, I think I laid an egg in the time that the I, you know, gestated
2: here. But no. Oh no, I'm good. catch me
1: up. What were you talking about? All right. Well, we're ta- we're we're in the Mr. Friendly did scene. Did you did, now, you, did right? you talk okay. about the lock
2: sass that happened in the scene? Uh,
1: uh, a little bit Of just when he's like Oh that's right I yeah. don't care about Michael I, just, Jack, I, Jack, I no. do love
2: that Because I mean Locke doesn't yeah. really care about, it, But I just I'm being like Oh no Jack You're totally right I want yeah. Michael to die But yeah mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> From a lighting perspective I know it's been a while Since we talked about Lighting on Lost It's really done Really well in orientation but Yeah how's the lighting In your home right now? Uh Flashy at best But you know what
1: I might go for torches Considering they might Provide a more sustainable And everlasting source Than the Mike Bloom Mike Bloom in New Jersey See, I'm in Brooklyn. It is now starting to pour in Brooklyn as oh, we're no, it's this. coming for I'm you. If, uh, you better be
0: ready.
2: <laughs> the blackout's coming. Yeah, the, for the rain's the true hunting party here. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I love the way Mr. Friendly introduced here because yeah. we got more, obviously, we got more light of him in expose, but bringing him back, again, you're bringing up film noir. He doesn't exactly have the smokiness behind him, like when uh, Michael came back during Ooh and Found, but I just love the way that he's shaded initially. Like, he's silhouetted. He's still looking so mysterious. It's like he's an informant on Dateline, and I think it's very symbolic because we'll find out much, much later. In fact, Henry Gale is going to tell him this, that, like, Mr. Friendly is not the leader of the others, but it's not about him as a person. It's about what he represents, and from that yes. capacity... His face doesn't need to be seen because it's much more about who he's speaking on behalf of.
1: Yeah, it's obscured by shadow and slightly aglow with fire, but mostly obscured by shadow and fake beard. Uh, and he's going to have John. Why don't you build us a fire, John? Let's let's uh, let's all have a talk. And then we cut from that. Like, no, don't cut away from this. I <laughs> no, want to stay hear there. The talk. Stop it. Uh, but luckily, what we we turn we away from is is a really great scene. This is this is a great scene in the episode. We're in the hatch. Uh, Charlie and Hurley are on hatch duty. First sighting of Geronimo Jackson. We'll talk mm-hmm. more about Geronimo Jackson when we get into the others and the behind the scenes type of stuff. But this is when Hurley is gonna start positing like what do you think about Libby? You think like I, I think I might stand a chance with Libby. I think this might work. Classic Desert Island I scenario. Feel like, if I, I feel ever like had I, a yeah, shot, I, I feel
2: like I know her from somewhere. I'm not sure. And yeah. of course, season two Charlie, go to season two Charlie and bring the conversation back to himself and be like, Oh, I wonder yeah. if Claire's missing me after a day of kicking me out.
1: Yeah, and then uh, they're not alone, it turns out, as they're listening to this uh, this sort of sad, somber music, uh, and uh, someone joins them, and it's Saeed Jarrah and he walks in and stands very awkwardly and then has an all-time great Saeed Jarrah line.
0: This music is quite depressing.
2: <laughs> Saeed, I think, is the master of, like, the two second clips on down the hatch like infamously another big one was a uh, good morning punch in the face from a uh, from confidence man here we just have them matter of factly walking in and just throwing complete shade onto their choices of music like Saeed is just listen if we couldn't have Saeed as part of the A-team at least he's here to make fun of other people's music choices
1: Absolutely spectacular. Just really, really, really funny. Um, it's been a while since we've had it's been a while, it's been a while since we've had uh since we've had Saeed on the show. Uh, you know, in, in anything other than just like the grieving capacity. And even though it's very quick, he's so funny here, but he's also, you know, like immediately like Correctly interested in all the things that are going on. Mm -hmm. He's like, so where is everybody? What is it they're doing? Who's gone? What happened with Michael? Uh, So like, yeah, he's grieving, but this is if this. If you've never met a man who can, uh, who can walk and chew gum at the same time, let me introduce you to Saeed Jarrah. I'm
2: a little surprised that Charlie is, you know, fine-defining you-all-everybody. is like, oh, Jack, Sawyer, Locke, Kate, they're all out there. Considering that you actually uh, referenced this beforehand, live together, die alone. He's going to be the main griper about, like, I'm not part of the A-team anymore. Maybe it's because it's like, uh, he's like, this isn't my battle. I already shot someone out of
1: revenge. It's Sawyer's turn. Totally. Um, all right, so let's go back to the hunting party scene. Let's listen in to the iconic oh, yeah. and this, scene. This, this, and it's I, a long I, one. <laughs> and I guess we're going to listen into it in sort of the same fashion that you did. Ooh, like, yeah. we'll get the bringer out, Alex, and everything and my, like that. And my so sister's let's, name
2: is Alex, so I feel like it makes a oh, more about pertinent that? sense.
1: All right, so let's experience Mr. Friendly's famous scene the way that Mike Bloom experienced it the first time through Lost.
0: Just sit down, Jack. Nobody's going to hurt you. I come in peace. How do you know our names? You took Walt. Walt's fine. He's a very special boy. Look, you said he wanted to talk. Talk. Let me ask you this. How long you been here on the island? 50 days. Ooh, 50 days. That's what, almost two whole months. Tell me. You go over a man's house for the first time. Do you take off your shoes? You put your feet up on his coffee table? You walk in the kitchen and eat food that doesn't belong to you? Open the door to rooms you got no business opening? You know, somebody a whole lot smarter than anybody here once said that since the dawn of our species, man's been blessed with curiosity. You know the other one about curiosity, don't you, Jack? This is not your island. This is our island. And the only reason you're living on it is because we let you live on it. I don't believe you. You don't believe what? I think you got one guy up there with a gun. I think there's more of us than there are of you. I think if you had any real strength, you wouldn't have had to send a spy. Ethan. It's an interesting theory. Light him up! We got a misunderstanding, Jack. Your people, my people... So listen carefully. Right here, there's a line. You cross that line, we go from misunderstanding to something else. Now, give me your weapons. Turn around. Go home. Now, Jack. Maybe. No. I hoped you wouldn't come to this. Bring her out, Alex. She was following you. Like I said, curiosity. Don't. Jack, the decision you got to make right now is this you live with the fact that I shot this woman right in front of you? (laughs) You could have saved her life by giving up and going home. Are you going to give me your guns? Turn around and walk away. It's your call, Jack. You've touched a hair on her head. Shut up! (laughs) I'm going to count to three. One, two,
1: stop. Okay, Jack, I'll stop the clip. All right. Can you believe it, Mike, that uh, lightning struck here in Brooklyn, New York, just as uh, Mr. Friendly said, light him Uh, up! Are you kidding me? No. Oh
2: (laughs) my God. This is, I think, the most we've ever communed with nature on Down the Hatch. This is A Lost Rewatch podcast that spoils the entirety of Lost
1: yeah thunder booming so you'll forgive us if we're gonna start uh maybe getting through the episode a little
2: bit faster holy moly it it sticks because i want to like i feel like we need to address this scene in parts because i it's so freaking good uh i first off you know friendly really showing his place you know assuring waltz a very special boy dripping with almost just like i don't know this this preening sense of like we've got him he's fine uh, I love the reference to like, this is our home, you know. take off your shoes in front of a, you know, when you get to a man's house for the first time, considering, guess who, Josh, took their shoes off the first time they were in a Dharma establishment, none other than John mm. Locke.
1: Yeah, yep, totally, totally, totally. And like opening doors, you've got no business oh, he opening. He looks
2: straight at Locke when he says that.
1: Yeah, so there's just it's it's really 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 great. Just the the scene is just like dripping with such great dialogue. It's also funny to think about it when you see like some of the flip side of it in 3 minutes. Uh when he says bring her out, Alex and then it like happens like clockwork that Kate comes out. When in actuality, if you believe the 3 minutes interpretation of events, uh like it takes like an extra like 30 seconds yeah. to go down because it's not actually Alex who brings out Kate. It's like some other guy and Alex uh, is like can't you do it please i don't want to go i don't want to do it yeah exactly and so like they send someone else out. but there.
2: i i think that you know we'll get into the alvar hansel of it all in the other section but you know there's a lot of posturing going on here right which is essentially like quintessential season two a little bit of season three others of the only reason you're living on this island is because we're letting you live on it and which you know is a bit of like speaking towards the jacob of it all as well the light him up part, lightning uh, not included, is just so damn good. First off, MC Ganey kills this scene, but him bellowing it, cut to all the synchronized torches, I'm assuming rehearsals must have gone, like, into the night to pull all that off, Uh, but, you know...
1: No, the others are actors, yeah. right? They use stage glue, so this is easy. And so yeah, he establishes a line, easy. a
2: lot of link between, you know, Christian and Tom Friendly here, between... Friendly even saying go home, which is what Christian does here as well. So, of course, Jack is going to cross that line. But, you know, people wondered at the time, like, oh, is this a line that's like, you can't go to the northern part of the island because, like, it's where this exists. Or, you know, because uh, there's, you know, when we get to, like, the gray ash circling Jacob's cabin, people thought it made something to do with that. My theory has always been that they don't want them to cross that line because when you get across that line, you start seeing the barracks. And you start seeing Dharmaville, and essentially the guise is broken, so essentially it's like scare tactics, let's make up some mythical you know uh meridian for them not to cross, and that way they're not going to see through the disguises
1: yeah uh, there's just so much here that I love, uh not the least of which is actually what happens next, uh, which we don't have the audio clip of is like when they fork over the guns and they put it on like this little like tiny tarp, yeah uh, and it's like it's like two assault rifles plus a couple of handguns. Uh, There's the great line, you and me ain't done, Zeke, between Sawyer and and Friendly and Indeed. There's
2: another really interesting stare that Locke gives Friendly, because he's the second one to abdicate all of his weapons. And you could tell that I think Locke is really sizing them up. I mean, granted, you know, we saw Ethan, but this is the first time he's really encountered the others. And we're going to get into things, even in a few episodes, when Locke is starting to start his very very up and down relationship with ben linus who some might say was like the only equal to john Locke uh on this island in terms of mysticism or mental fortitude and i i would just love to look into john Locke's head for this scene because he's very quiet
1: and he's very present he's yeah, very present and, he also, and he's also someone the to, he's the
2: one to initially dismiss jack he's the one who's like jack maybe we should listen to what they say so i wonder if You know, Locke is someone, maybe they should have taken Locke at the end of season two, considering that Locke probably wouldn't have been the most willing to go along with what Ben was espousing, that Locke seems to have some sort of begrudging respect for the instructions that the others were giving them.
1: Yeah, Uh, but they fork everything over. Mr. Friendly's able to grab all of the guns with the flimsy blanket and just, like, grab it with one hand. That's very impressive. That must be very, very heavy, and for him to be able to do that all with the flimsy blanket. Uh mc Gainey, more like mv painy this week <laughs> King, yep King of I'll, the I'll take it but yeah i mean i'm assuming that
2: friendly has like the uh untested dharma arm wrestling champion like five years running oh, yeah, right yeah. yeah
1: yeah yeah for sure he's but, he's like, over if,
2: the if he, top in many ways
1: yeah yeah he's he you, you see him uh there, there has to be like a flashback on the cutting room floor of him and goodwin running into each other for the first time in a long time and mr friendly going, goodwin you son of a bitch as they smash hands together and start arm wrestling midair and mr friendly says what's the matter dom initiative got you pushing too many pencils yeah people might not uh, realize
2: that mr friendly was actually austrian and we just sort of forget about that even <laughs> the clip even forgot about it it's so strange real mandela effect
1: Yeah, Mr. Friendly is a Terminator. Uh, So they leave, they're gone, that's it. Really scary, iconic, really great scene. Love the scene. Fully holds up. Uh, doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't matter that Mister Friendly is just a Mister and not the king of the others. uh MC Ganey just delivers its first contact in in a, in a really meaningful way between these two groups. Yes, yeah, but it's as if the um, Vulcan
2: touched down and said, "Like, give me all your weapons, and I'm leaving, and don't ever go
1: into space again." It's great. It's great. It's super cool. Super cool. Oh uh, yes, yeah, uh, so, and, and I and I like,
2: love also just like again going back to the lighting, the effect that as soon as Mister Friendly walks away with the guns, all the torches go out at once. Again, like, it's, yeah. it's very stage-like. And I actually, I mean, to your point, I actually love looking at the scene knowing that because it really makes you see the stage work behind it and make you realize how much of a ruse they're putting out and how much, I mean, when we get into the mysticism of the island, which we're definitely going to be doing uh, as we get further down the line here, it is a lot of performative stuff, right? It's, I'm going to get this person to do this for my benefit, making them believe it's for a higher purpose, and I feel like that's a case here of like, ooh, the big spooky feral others have surrounded us. When really it's a bunch of like paper pushers who happen to get into rags and light up torches and synchronization.
1: Right, uh, man. Great stuff, though, man. I mean, like, if if an episode is made on a moment, uh, this this scene alone is a four point two for sure. Yeah. I mean, this is like uh, like
2: I said. I think this is one of the best scenes in season 2 of lost. I mean I I would put it right up there with the very first scene of season 2 because it's so just performatively well done. There's emotional stakes there clearly. Like you said, Jack has a problem with being given boundaries when he feels like he has to do something. I think this shows a big character moment for Jack to back down when he knows that he's crossing a line and I think the fact that it's built into the mythos of the others as well and really does We'll talk at the end of this episode about the whole army against the others thing and how that sort of goes nowhere. But this does feel like a bit of a turning point in the season up for Lost, and this is a big part of it.
1: Uh, all right. And so Jack and Kate are going to be very awkward. We'll get into that in a moment. Um, the next morning, it's it dawn. It's real. And this is where Jin and Son are going to have their conversation. If I don't like being told what to do, it's what and happened to the other. And locks up and he's like,
2: he's got a point, Son
1: uh-huh <laughs> but uh Jin gets it and he's like I, gu- I guess he didn't like that and then they hug and i love that yeah. and it's this is good communication and then i guess it's not the worst <laughs> communication here when it's like it's dawn again and they're walking through a nice filter by the way yeah, i was right? gonna say like, the sky's a beautiful
2: pink it's gonna be subtly turning into purple about half a season yeah. from now
1: uh yeah so Kate's trying to tell Jack like I was just trying to help you told me not to go I made a mistake can you talk to me for a second I'm sorry and I guess to his credit at least Jack says yeah I'm sorry too but like it doesn't really play great like yeah they're sorry but like it's just the whole thing is just very awkward and I think uh they all they all just everybody blew it everybody blew it but this is not the most awkward <laughs> confrontation that is to come right now as Jack in his badass red dress shirt's going to come home. Sarah's cleaning up the dishes. She had her mom over for Quote, dinner.
2: Quote, unquote, I don't believe that. I, I know that she says my mom is here to help me pack. I think there's at least a 50% chance that it was the
1: guy. Could be. Could be the guy. But either way, this is what happens. The final sound.
2: You
0: to do it's therapeutic, cheaper than a shrink. How did the daughter take it? What's her name, Gabriella? She kissed me. Yeah, she... She kissed me and... This is my fault. It's my fault that you and me—I I haven't been here, Sarah. I mean, we don't even talk anymore. I hate what's happening to us, and I promise you that things are going to be different. I'm gonna—I'm gonna—I'm gonna work less. I'm gonna be here for you. Okay, I'm gonna fix this. We're gonna go back to the way things were. I'm gonna fix this. I'm gonna fix this. Here, she helping me back. I've been.
2: Josh' marriage story turned out a little bit different from what I remember.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, well, in that version, Jack throws uh, he punches. And he a throws wall. a banana at the wall. He throws the <laughs> banana through a wall. Yeah, at least he's not. At least he's not next to the feelings wall in the in the swan. Yeah, stage. exactly. And, like, oh, your uh, wife left you. Look really. at you crying. Your wife left you. What are you? So who, who does dishes? Who does dishes? Here, let me take care of that as it magnetically steals the force. So, uh, I want to talk about
2: this from Jack's perspective first, because, oddly enough, Josh, this reminded me of a song from my personal favorite musical, Into the Woods. And spoiler alert for Into the Woods, uh, there is a moment where, you know, there's the center are a baker and his wife. In the first act, they're childless. They're searching for a child. Second act, they have a child. And she has a brief tryst, a moment in the woods... Uh, with a Lothario prince, who happens to be Cinderella's prince. And she sings this whole, like, soliloquy about that moment and how she feels a bit torn about, you know, going back to her life with her husband and her child. And the final lyric that she sings is, Let the moment go. Don't forget it for a moment, though. Just remembering you've had an and when you're back to or makes the or mean more than it did before. Now I understand, and it's time to leave the woods. And I think it's it's a weird parallel, but honestly, maybe it's me sort of projecting Jack in this place, but I sort of feel like he has a very similar, I don't know, like sort of a similar come-to-Jesus moment about this, of him coming back. Yes, he's vowed to fix Sarah because that is Jack the mechanic, but I wonder if him having this brief moment with Gabriella made him realize how sure he was in his feelings for Sarah, and that him coming back was like, Yes, this was a moment, but if life were only moments, then you'd never know you had one. You need consistency, and I know that my feelings for you are consistent. It's just unfortunate that Sarah, whether due to Jack pulling away emotionally beforehand or herself pulling emotionally away, had her own moments in the woods, and she's leaving him there.
1: Yeah. It's sad. She had to go. It was too late for him, and sometimes that happens. It doesn't make her a bad person uh means these two people have drifted apart irreparably at least from her perspective and that it only takes one in that in that equation um yeah yeah it's it's hard it's tough and like it's extra tough because sarah's leaving jack here and the rest of the jack flashback content we're going to get is of uh, a very, uh, very wounded man, mm-hmm. so much so that he's going to go fly kites with Bailene. Oh, boy. Yeah, we're now we're uh, so. starting to get to season three, Jack, of it all. You know? And, and I think that that's important stuff, and I'm looking forward to talking that through uh, from the historical standpoint of how all of that gets us ready for the biggest twist that Lost ever pulls off. Right. Because I think it's important uh, groundwork for the flash forward. Uh, but, yeah, and I, I think, like... As as much as this story is mapping onto the main story of the of the episode, uh, it's he's neglected a relationship and a relationship has fallen apart. And I don't know how well it maps on to Kate. I think the episode tries to really make it map on to yeah. Kate and it doesn't so well for me. More maps onto the to the Michael friendship, to be honest. I think like the big if there's a if there's a big sin that this episode commits that's gonna prevent it from being like a truly elite episode of Lost for me. It's that I don't know how comfortably the flashback fits alongside the on-island yes. action. Not that not that the flashback story is necessarily bad. Uh, I think you had to tell the divorce story eventually. I just don't know how it fits in conjunction with what's happening on the island, and I think that that is, um, you know, not unique to the hunting party. I think that that's a big issue that season two wrestles with. Overall, we talked about it at length when we were talking about Adrift. Uh, I think that this is a less sinful version of that. They didn't have to like completely scrap an episode. But sometimes I think maybe the show had a little bit of trouble at this point in its run, figuring out how to tell a compelling backstory that tonally and thematically made sense with what was happening to these characters in their present lives as yeah, well. Yeah,
2: I mean, this is the fifth Jack flashback episode, if you don't include the pilot. And I would definitively say if we're looking purely at the flashbacks this is bottom for me. Uh, just because, like you said, and we talked about this with all the
1: More so than Stranger in a Stranger. Well, no, Land? I think of
2: the five we, we've seen so far. No. Oh, Yeah, sure. no, 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 no. We're gonna look forward to that. But I think, <laughs> you know, when you're looking... It's, it's, and it's because, not only because they were extremely strong, and I think that this particular scene that we played, I think was by far the best part of the flashback. Like you said, it was a necessary part of Jack's arc, but it was also very well performed by Julie Bowen and Matthew Fox. And it was very emotional and, and sort of helps inform sort of where we find Jack, as you say, on 8.15. But I also think that, like you said, this is sort of a an externality of, like, the more flashbacks we have to give a character, the more writers are like, okay, we need to figure out how this flashback sort of loosely relates to what's happening. Now I would mean, even say the most relatable part of the flashback to the main plot was not the, you know, Sarah stuff and, you know, the him apologizing, taking responsibility for a mistake, much like he does with Kate. I think it's more so, as I talked about, crossing the line. This idea of, like, here's a boundary, you shouldn't go over it, because then you're going to put things in danger. He does it in the past, and, you know, you would say that, like, it ends up working badly for him, but it appears that it had no bearing whatsoever, considering that she was already working against him, which I think kind of muddies the point as well. But he ends up staying away here, even though he plans to form an army, as it were. So
0: yeah, right, yeah right. i agree
2: that i think this is like the strongest scene of the flashback but this is something of a, a very rare jack episode so far in lost where jack's past and present do not meet up with one another
1: uh they come back to the beach jack and kate are kind of walking next to each other very awkwardly uh Locke has a great dig at Sawyer. see Oh, uh, so trolly <laughs> so trolly i
2: love it i'm like yeah i, I didn't forget it. about oh, that and i'm gonna and he calls him james for the the rest of the series
1: yeah see ya, james uh and sawyer uh is gonna tell kate don't beat yourself up if i were you i would have done exactly what you did and i think that that's nice um baby aaron's crying you see charlie in oh, the distance, a great preview watching. of what's
2: gonna happen next week
1: mm, so that's gonna be next week uh Locke says when when aaron is crying goes what's wrong you don't like your uncle johnny i
2: thought he said i thought he said something like oh what's wrong with your little foot i think that's what he, yeah, he, he said he grabbed aaron's foot he says
1: foot. that too He says that, too. Uh, Anna Lucia is off on her own, hanging out with Vincent. Vincent just always knows when someone's about to die. He's like, I'm going to hang out (laughs) with you. Is Vincent cursed? (laughs) Yeah, he may be. Although, he hangs out with uh, Bernard and Rose in the end. But Uh, but Bernard Bernard
2: is canonically dead, as we know, so... (laughs)
1: oh that's right and he does go to jack at the very end of the show he's like oh you about to die let me hang out with you i'm i'm the i'm the, I'm the dog that everyone hangs out with before yeah, they die he's a nice hospice dog
2: essentially uh so uh, jack says i see he's found a new friend and ann lucia says progress i would have pulled this last scene had i known about this but apparently if you listen really really hardly to the last scene after ann lucia says progress you hear somebody whether it's on set or like an extra say very quietly in the background not really
1: really uh, so someone wow. just throwing shade
2: on Ana lucia off camera
1: damn damn uh yeah and this is where jack and anna have their moment where he says uh so side says you were a cop can i ask you something she says shoot careful oh, that boy. Word, anna.
2: all right yeah <laughs> Wait, and then he pulls out anna. yeah yeah uh
1: he says how long do you think it would take to train an army and it's a. it was a really cool ending at the time Obviously, this doesn't really go anywhere.
2: Yeah, I mean, we're going to get, you know, a couple of, of episodes of Mobilization. And I guess it ties into the whole Henry Gale thing, right? Of like, now we have one of them. We'll be able to to make leverage with it when you don't realize that that was the plan all along.
1: Uh, one, of, one of the coolest endings to a lost episode that totally doesn't matter in the long run.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, so... It, it's it's a fun thing, though, at the time. This is Jack and Anna Lucia finally coming together. This also feels like a big pivot in, like, Jack fervently going after the others. I feel like this is a different take than last season when it was, okay, we're going after Ethan, after the, all the best daddies of it all. And this is going to set up, really, I would say, the main onus of season three in general, which is the first half is, hey, let's rescue our friends from the others. The second half is, hey, let's go fight the others. And I feel like this was sort of lighting the fuse in a way. They lit him up even though that fuse is going to take a long time to eventually get to that end. So I appreciate it in that regard, but I do agree that I think this is one of the less powerful endings that we've seen so far, other
1: than just because, like, it's all sizzle and no substance. All right, Mike, you ready to get into some feedback about it.
2: Provided there are no other freak occurrences of nature (laughs) to get into the others
1: ah it's crazy so crazy all right well let's get into some feedback hopefully no no freak accidents uh let's do some behind the scenesy stuff as we like to do here let's talk geronimo jackson first sighting of geronimo jackson here uh in in lost in the hunting party see this is a historic episode of lost mike
2: yeah i mean geronimo jackson is one of those like the apollo bars one of those randomly recurring things geronimo jackson for people who don't know uh they were the band that provided the album magna carta that charlie and hurley were leafing through also find it fun that it's an album called magna carta considering that this is an episode where we see a group of people like draw a line and try to set up a set of rules as to how this society will sort of construct itself that they will all officially break uh but yeah not a real band but that did not stop them from actually producing a song.
1: No. And uh, everyone on the Lost crew or most of the Lost crew, like the company line was like, no, Geronimo Jackson's real. What are you guys talking about? Like, right. Damon Carlton said that on podcasts. Uh, Javier Griot, Mark Swatch, had said that. Oh, subs- it's very arcane. It's very hard to find. Uh, and they they credited uh, Ed- Ed- Edward Kitsis and Adam Horowitz for uh, for uncovering geronimo jackson uh of course the truth is that they named it uh it's eddie kitsis and adam horowitz were the people who uh who named geronimo jackson it's named after a novel geronimo rex uh so we've got some uh some fun stuff uh in in the show notes that can uh, redirect you to some uh to some origin stories about how Geronimo Jackson came together. Uh, but I remember uh, Dharma Lady, the song Dharma Lady, mm-hmm. was, uh, was, was the Geronimo Jackson song that I think made it onto Lost. And being, like, a super Lost nerd, like, I've listened to that song, Dharma Lady, way too many times.
2: Yeah, I remember they made it, like, free to download off of iTunes, so they just, like, were trying to put it as, like, free marketing. I mean, Lost, and this was talked about in uh, one of the Sci-Fi Wire podcasts that were done uh, several months ago, was really one of the first shows to produce an immersive experience across many mediums of pop culture, uh, also, you know, there's a season two DVD feature where Kitz and Horowitz describe the band's backstory, which is that this guy Keith Strutter uh, ran away from his home in Kentucky in the '60s <laughs> and went to San Francisco, and they they like started up playing burlesque shows, and then they they never headlined, but they only put out one album, which is like super rare. So obviously, I guess one advantage of having a, a hatch that is just like firmly stuck in the 70s is that you do get some like pretty rare collector's items
1: yeah and apparently uh in he's are you the the season five episode in a commentary track you find out that there was uh one of the members of geronimo jackson actually was a member of the dharma initiative
2: yeah and i think that also in that episode like there's a po- geronimo jackson poster in like the break room as well so you uh-huh. have to be like this guy that's <laughs> like putting up posters for his own band or oh, like, he, he was like, he was the Charlie.
1: He was legendary. In, uh, yeah, exactly. He was legendary in the Dharma circles. Uh, Geronimo Jackson was lit back then. Um, some other deep cut stuff is obviously uh, in the, the Mr. Friendly scene. He says something to the effect of somebody a whole lot smarter than anyone here once said since the dawn of our species. Man has been blessed with curiosity, uh, which is uh, an Alvar Hanzo quote. Uh, founder of the uh, the Hanzo Foundation, which funded the Dharma Initiative, which is never paid off on Lost, and only paid off in the ARG, the Alternate Reality Game, uh, for uh, that was surrounding Lost. Uh, but still, in season two, like they were trying to make that a thing. Right. Uh, I mean, it's like, if that's like the quote, that's the Hanzo quote that you have to quote in this moment to like evoke a really wise man. It's kind of a bad quote. Since the dawn of our species, man has been blessed with curiosity. It
2: feels like, like a John Hammond quote,
1: but it doesn't. Like, I mean, it doesn't. It just doesn't seem that profound. <laughs> this is like the. This is the guy who's a lot smarter than everyone here. I feel like Jack's pretty smart. Well, like, do you, do you think that the? I don't know.
2: I'm like I'm wondering also how Friendly knows this quote by heart. Do you think this is part of the manipulation? Do you think that during their orientation, which we'll see a bit of during Namaste, that like. This is one of the things they had to remember, like the Pledge of Allegiance, the famous Alvar Hanzo quotes.
1: Yeah, I don't know. They like, everyone had to memorize like the Dharma videos. Uh, and so they just like, for a while, maybe they didn't have a, a lot to watch. So yeah, that's... so it just
2: became like gray matter. Like you just mm-hmm. repeat it through your head and the words <laughs> just sort of lose meaning, which to your point, the words don't have a lot of meaning to begin with. Though maybe you, you more so take umbrage with Mr. Friendly saying, assuming that everyone here is less smart than Alvar Hanzo.
1: I just don't think the quote's very good, but whatever. Whatever. All right, let's get into some feedback from the listeners, from the Hatchlings. This is from Riley Wigmore. Uh, Riley Wigmore writes in and says, I think this episode really puts a finger on why I hate Jack so much, especially in the early seasons. Jack is an a-hole. We all know that. But those words to end his flashback here, you're always going to need someone to fix. I think it goes further and it hit me. Jack always needs someone to fix so that he's in charge, so that he's in this power position. And I think subconsciously, Jack will break someone so he can fix them. What happened in this episode was Jack's fault, Jack denying Kate to come on the journey when she's capable and proven to be of help in times like these, just to punish her and because he's mad at her. I think partly because Sawyer loves her, as he heard, and Kate isn't entirely his, and his jealousy is frankly sexist and misogynistic, and when he is even getting Sawyer of all people in on this, but he did it, I think, because he wants her to know she's wrong, to break her a bit more, and make her come back to him wanting to be fixed, and then Jack can fix her, and she'd be quote-unquote his. I think that that wording wow. is interesting. I think that wording is interesting because that's very Ben Linus uh, when yeah. he says to Juliet, like, you're mine. Um, it's a lot. This is a big. That's a big take on Jack. That's a big take on Jack. I'd agree with it to a certain extent.
2: I personally don't feel like Jack feels like he needs to be in charge because he needs something to fix. Like I do not feel the ability to repair something is inherently tied into leadership, and maybe that's my own takeaway from things. But like someone like Saeed is very easily able to fix many things, both emotional and physical. But I don't necessarily see him as a um, uh, you know an, an absolute leader because of it. I, I I feel like Jack's want to take charge is maybe from a different idea. Than feeling like he needs to to fix things at all times like they might be tied into one another but i don't know if correlation necessarily leads to causation here
1: yeah um but i i think that i think that there's something there i mean certainly i'm a big champion of the idea that jack is as compelling of a character as he is uh because uh he is an asshole uh and he's like the asshole who thinks he's the hero Right, and and that's the thing as well
2: is that we're not looking for the like Sterling, shiny, perfectly good person as the hero of our story, yeah, I, mean, I like that I like that he's
1: unlikable exactly it works, i agree it works for me because it gives you somewhere to go with the character uh that you know he's he's very imperfect and he's one of those imperfect people that that you know acts and operates as if he's perfect sometimes uh and it's real it's really only when he starts to uh actively let go of being a decision maker and like being more present in the way that Locke is present in that scene in the hunting party with Mr. Friendly. Once he's allowed to, like, be, like, open to present experiences, that he's finally able to become, uh, I think, a a pretty likable character at that point. Um, But for now, yeah, he's supposed to be unlikable. I think that that's always, always always been the point. I I
2: think that he's supposed to, I don't know if it's unlikable as much as he's shown to mess up. And I feel like that's a distinction as well in that, like, We've seen him do th- things wrong and act in the wrong, and I feel like that might be tied into unlikable, but I think it's also tied into being human, and Jack is going to learn from those mistakes, as you said, but we're going to watch him make those mistakes as a pair- opposed to maybe some other characters who might be a little bit more perfect in the decisions that they make, but as a result won't have as much of a journey to go through. So you're really sort of balancing, like, do you get arc or do you get likability?
1: Uh, Stefan Johnson said, "Why are Jack and John scheduling shifts at the hatch together?" Great question. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe that. Maybe because Jack doesn't trust Locke, so he wants mm. to keep an eye on Locke. But that sounds so miserable for them. I mean, do you,
2: Jack did tell Locke, "I'll take the first ship with you." Do you think Jack was, Locke was like, "Yeah, I'll just keep you on the schedule"? Yeah, you Locke know, is, like I do. Locke I really again. do wonder. I think we need to get to the head of Locke when it comes to, like, his shift scheduling, because apparently, like, are the gawkers doing this? Who's on what when? Why did you decide for 6 six-hour shifts? What, what's the methodology here?
1: Yeah, hard to say. Hard to say. He's putting everybody in boxes, though, which is his want. Uh, (laughs) Dallin Servo writes in, Why not ask Saeed to come on the hunting party? He's probably the best shot of any of them. And why not ask Saeed about forming an army? You know, the only survivor to have actually been in an army. Uh, For the army thing, you know, mostly it's because it's not really going to go anywhere. I'll tell you when
2: I was with Kate's father.
1: Yeah, but and the man I who was in the hatch. I think with the hunting party, it's just like, we're just going. Like, Jack's just like, boots on the ground, let's leave right now.
2: Yeah, this is not an Ethan situation where it was like, let's gather our best group of people. You know, it was just, hey, the people that they were with. I mean, I mentioned this before. I think that on paper, Saeed was probably, on paper, Saeed's probably the best person to take really into any scenario. He's a cool head. He's someone who has dealt with the more mystical pieces of the island. But I could also see Jack in particular having some respect for Saeed and sort of like wanting to keep him at arm's length so he can grieve in his own way.
1: Yeah, I think that that works for me. Uh, Daniel Brennan writes in, whatever comes with this conversation between Anna and Jack about starting an army, it's such a weird way to end the episode because its placement makes it seem like this will be a major plot point in future episodes, and then it is seemingly forgotten about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. I mean, there's, 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 <laughs> I remember there's going to be
2: one scene, I think, in a couple episodes from now, when, like, I think I remember, like, Steve wants to be a part of the army. Or something like they they recruit a couple people, but honestly, I think that the arrival of Henry Gale really throws a spanner into the works and just puts them on a different type of mission than them saying what they did in season three, which is hey, let's charge headfirst into the other's camp and take them on.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, from a creative standpoint too, not just like the practical what's happening in the story, but the practical what's happening in the creating of the show is we're very close to the introduction of Michael Emerson into the universe of Lost, and he is transcendent. Oh my I, God! I oh, we are is, two,
2: we are three what three episodes two three episodes away episode fourteen right from introducing Michael Emerson one of
1: lost. one of them one of them coming up soon uh, so we're getting we just got to
2: get through a uh, one a couple of little do
1: doos before we get to that golden golden standard yeah we've got to get through fire plus water I love the long con so I'm excited for the long con but then we're then we're at one of them and then we're in uh we're we're finally officially in Ben Linus territory all the way through uh, which is exciting I mean I guess first it's Henry Gale territory but then it'll be Ben Linus territory. It's all Ben Linus. It's- yeah, exactly. It's just whether you put his name in, uh, whether you give him a pseudonym or whether he's the OG the whole way through. Uh, from the Ben behind the curtain, this episode could have been centered around nearly anyone. They didn't have to make Jack the center of the plot about Michael running off to find Walt. Should this episode have been given to someone else? What so, do you think? In this you ca- suggestions?
2: In this case, are, I mean, are we, are we like writing a flashback for them or are we taking a flashback that has... That is going Uh, to exist and giving it to to that character.
1: Well, how about this? I mean, I think with with the knowing of who these people are, knowing who these characters are, is there a character that is involved in this episode that has a viewpoint into what is happening in that main storyline? And that would be Jack, John, Sawyer, and I guess that that would probably be it because Michael is obscured from us and Kate is mostly obscured from us. Ooh, I got an idea. You'd have to be talking about either Locke or Sawyer here.
2: What if we did Locke but use the flashback from Further Instructions?
1: Uh, so have him as a pot <laughs> farmer here in the hunting party.
2: Yeah, but he deals with authority. You know, the undercover cop.
1: Well, and, and now- the central premise of the of uh, of further instructions and the pot farmer flashback is: you're a farmer, not a hunter, John. Exactly, and so. Listen,
2: I guess if you're trying to bargain between this Jack flashback where he cheats on his wife and Locke the pot farmer, give me this flashback any day of the week.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, Dallin Servo had written in, there goes Harold Parano for the next three months. This episode aired January, he doesn't come back until April 12th. Uh, I seem to remember Harold being a little frustrated with his character around this point. I remember him on a late night show poking fun at his sporadic appearances by comparing it to working for the CIA, where he'd suddenly get a call and he'd have to get down to set ASAP. Yeah, I can imagine this being frustrating for him. I know that he was also like kind of mystified by uh, his placement in the end of the series, aka mm-hmm. not being brought into the church. Uh, I interviewed him once for uh, he was doing uh voice work for a- an anime uh, movie based on Blade, the Vampire Hunter. He was Blade, uh, and we did an interview about that. And I couldn't have Harold Perrineau on the line and not ask him like, "Do you think they did you dirty on Lost?" <laughs> And I think his answer was something to the effect of, like, yeah, how am I, how was I not in the church? I was like, I, I kind of feel this way, because a lot of these people did really bad things. Uh, did, is what Michael did so uniquely bad that he doesn't even get to sit outside the church with, yeah. with Ben Linus? Boone was there! Boone was there! I mean, Boone doesn't do anything as bad. Yeah, as
2: but, like, Boone, if, if it's a matter of, like, well, they haven't been around in a long time, like, Boone was there! You know, Shannon was there! <laughs>
1: Yeah, so uh, he didn't. He, I know he was he was down on that, but what are you gonna do? If, um, if he came
2: back as a vampire and then got hunted by Blade in the Sideways universe, would that have been better for him? Maybe,
1: maybe, maybe. Uh, any takeaways from the Jim Fell's music video this week? The music analysis of the Hunting Party, yeah,
2: the music video that Jim Fell's did. Yeah, so that'd be amazing. We're starting to get to the point in Lost where they're mixing together. They're essentially making like these sandwiches out of musical motifs to create a new taste, and there's a couple of them in this episode, like. In that scene where Jack dismisses Kate initially, it combines uh, the percussive motif that Locke has from Walkabout, aka like, the boar hunting of it all, with Born to Run when Kate is trying to get onto the raft, which I think is very like thematically uh, sensical. And then when Mr. Friendly shows up, it combines the danger motif all the way back from Tabula Rasa with the other's motif that started occurring in the beginning part of season two. So Giaquito really not needing to reinvent the wheel here. I think he's doing a great job of connecting things thematically by bringing in previous motifs and really invoking elements that have been brought up in previous episodes.
1: All right, let's get into 23 points. Let's do our MVPs and LVPs. The the only section we spoiled as much as we do lost on this podcast. We we spoiled a lot of this. Uh, No surprise, Mr. Friendly, going to be getting a point from you, Mr. Bloom.
2: Yeah, I mean, MC Gainey did an awesome job. Mr. Friendly did an awesome job in his first performance. We know he's full of hooey, but God, he makes this episode so much fun. Uh, I'm going to give John
1: Locke a point. Again, ranch under the bridge. Uh, He's very calm, cool, and collective here on so this episode of lost very sassy but he's doing his job he's doing it mostly without complaint and he's only complaining when it's really appropriate when jack's just being a jack off uh so i think Locke is great in this episode Locke deserves a point this week he's an expert tracker and he does a good job
2: yeah i'll get my other point to christian shepherd welcome to your very rare appearances in the mvp points because again i think he gives good advice and like i said A neutral episode for Christian Shepard is a good episode for Christian Shepard. I'm going to take advantage of the points we can give him. And I think the fact that he was trying to save his son from making a mistake, you know, he would make, uh, you know, looking at all these warning signs and advising him not to do this correctly should be, you know, should be acknowledged. All
1: right. I'm going to give Saeed an MVP point because of that one line that's really, really (laughs) hilarious. It's iconic. It's great. And it just shows that, like, they can still do stuff with Saeed even after everything that's gone on and still use him effectively like they're building the case back up to like how can we do things with Saeed? and i think it's a it's a good first shot uh so he's our he's one of our standard mvps uh society's going to get a point here are you
2: doing I, this just because echo wasn't on this week and you want to try
1: to make this you know a, a pretty uh, interesting competitive scene? yeah competitive maybe i don't know here no but here's the one where uh so last week mike you gave an lvp point to heroin uh uh-huh, yes uh, and typically, uh, and by typically, I mean always, we're only giving points out to people. Uh, heroin is the only non-person, uh, monster included, <laughs> or like the only non-living like living creature uh, to to be in our 23 points section. Uh, Carmelita Valdez-McCoy wrote in to say that heroin definitely earned that LVP point. Oh, thank you. So you had some support there. But if you're going to be able to get away with some MVP, LVP wonkiness, I'm going to do one too. And I'm taking my third MVP point. I've got the three this week. You've got the two. And I'm taking my third, Mike, and like a scripture stick, I'm holding it out and I'm smashing it in half with my knee. Uh, only after like six attempts <laughs> and really hurting my knee. You're not to fish sp- back it. I'm going to split it. I'm going to split my MVP point. I'm okay. going to give a half to Jin. And a half to sun. Oh, my God. Josh Solomon Wiggler is here, ladies and gentlemen. Splitting up a point. And I am going to split a point between the Quans, (laughs) setting a very dangerous precedent for their very effective communication. And otherwise, if, if I don't do it this way, then I have to not give Saeed the MVP point, and I think Saeed gets the MVP yeah, that point. That would be right very there. depressing, much like the music. I love that. So if, love- if anyone's really mad at this, then write in and let us know, but we now have precedent for half points. Oh, I, lo- uh, I
2: love that. In the beginning of the series, this is like the exact opposite of this episode, we drew a line in the beginning yes. of the series, and we have just been erasing it slowly every episode to live in yeah, this you, lawless that- society by the end of it.
1: Have you guys noticed we don't really do 15 or 16 others anymore? Didn't really talk about that. It and just don't even get
2: into us about the 180 minutes rule or whatever. Oh, I that's was.
1: done. That's done. That's dead. That's long dead. All right, let's talk about LVPs. Who do you got, Mike? You've got three, I've got two.
2: Uh, so I mentioned this before. I'll just, I'll just string them off. So Kate, first, I know that you give her some rationale, but she did put herself in danger and also put herself at the mercy of the others. And I'm going to, you know... There's a lot of blame as to, like, who's to blame for the Jack and Sarah breakup. I honestly think it takes two to tango. I guess more partners in this case. So I'm going to give a point to both Jack and to Sarah. No half points here. I'm committing fully to it. I think they were both in the wrong. And unfortunately, you know, we'll see Sarah maybe a couple more times. But I think, depending on the next time we're going to see her, this puts her at a zero overall. She may be skewing negative by the time we finish with her.
1: Um, all right. So I'm going to give an LVP point to Michael. Uh because I think Michael uh should not have done what he did. Uh I think that that was bad. And I guess I get the rationale to a certain degree. Um, but maybe trust these people a little bit more. Maybe like talk to Saeed. Mm-hmm. See if you can like uh you know come up with a strategy with somebody who like might need something to do like Saeed. Uh and this sets him down on the slippery slope. So Michael's getting an L V P point. Uh the good news is he'll be gone for a long time. <laughs> the bad news is he will probably say it'd be like great coming back time
2: for more mvp points whoops
1: i think he will never get an mvp point again would be my guess and then i'll just give an lvp point to angelo because he dies (laughs) exactly
2: and i'm assuming that you know he had a long life as a chef maybe he appeared (laughs) on a few reality shows before deciding to retire in italia and he learned fervent italian forgot all his english and then had a despicable daughter who was only after the money
1: yeah that's right Um, All right. So where does that leave us? Uh, We've got some some uh, we've got we've got our top three has changed ever so slightly. Uh, Saeed is inching up in the world. He's got five MVP points through season two for season two only. Obviously, we're not talking about the full thing. Um, Mr. Echo is still very clearly out in front with 11 to Saeed's five. But we now have a new third place in its (gasps) in, in his own category because they were tied before. It used to be a tie between Jin and Anna Lucia at three a piece, but now Jin's got (laughs) 3.5. Oh
2: (laughs) my God. By a nose. Jin Su Kwan is our bronze
1: medalist right now in season two. So that's great. That's great. All right. Let's get to the 4.2 stars, our episode rankings. I give a score. Bloom gives a score. Audience gives their score. We average that. We average the three points. for our current down the hatch score, flexible document keep sending those ratings in. Is this a uh, an elite episode of Lost? I would say it's an elite episode of Lost if it hits the fours, and I don't think the hunting party is, but I think it's almost an elite episode of Lost. I think mm. it has it has some mythology setting up uh, set pieces that are that are underrated. It's got a, a truly iconic scene in the middle. Um, there's a lot about the hunting party that I. Absolutely adore. My first run experience with it is a lot more pleasant in my memory than it is for you, Mike. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to give it a 3.9. I think I enjoy the experience of watching The Hunting Party about the same as I enjoy the other 48 days, which is also a 3.9. That was my justification for it. But I will say that so far up to this point, every Jack Flashback until The Hunting Party has been a perfect episode for me. It's been 4.2s all the way. Um, So The Hunting Party is our first one to not only not be a perfect score, but it's not in the fours. And I think... Uh, other than through the looking glass, I don't think that there will be another Jack centric episode that will be in the fours for me.
2: Mm. maybe i'm trying to to think about like his season five flashbacks if there's anything there
1: not really well that's not centricity anymore really you know it's at least it's blimsy centricity at that point through the looking glass season three finale is obviously in the contention for best episodes of the whole show so it's going to be a perfect score from both of us there's no drama there at all i don't think so uh and uh the premiere i think is uh, of season three is uh is where like maybe some people but I, I can't imagine I'm gonna shift from this, but some people maybe like, no. How could you not give that a perfect score? They cut they show you Dharmaville the first time, and yeah, that's iconic too. Sort of yeah. like the Mr. Friendly speech here. Uh but then they also spend a lot of time with like Jack just like yanking a chain and trying to uh not drown
2: yeah i don't I mean, know 316 it, i interest. know 316 is not like a jack flashback episode they they call it a jack centric episode and i really like that one that was 316
1: 316 could be a 4 316 yeah. could be a 4 that's and,
2: and that's a big like mythos episode sort of like what this this friendly scene is i so, mean
1: it's it's very stupid the way that they get back to the island it's like every just like everybody's sitting the same seats. yeah <laughs> everybody get back on the plane same seats same seats like we're in a field trip I like to think that like the real like science behind how they got back was just so much more con- convoluted than that. And uh, Eloise Hawking was just like, "Let me just dumb this down for you. Everybody, just get on the plane, and it's going to happen."
2: Oh, I'm excited to get to Eloise Hawking. That's going to be a oh fun yeah, time.
1: that's going to be fun. All right, what do you give the hunting party?
2: Yeah, so we talked about this at the beginning of the podcast. I agree that I think this has some high highs. I really like the last. I guess I said like what the last third of it. Basically, everything from the uh, the eponymous hunting party on, including the Jack Sarah breakup scene. I think, is particularly strong. I think where this episode is maybe not so strong, and I wouldn't say outright weak, but definitely not as strong, are some of the other areas before it. I think it takes a little while to actually get there. I think the connection between the flashback and the the main plot itself is tenuous at best, and I'm not a huge fan of some of the choices that these characters make. So I was thinking around like the mid... 3s i'm looking at some of these other episodes that i did i definitely like it less than the other 48 days despite the uh the montage at the end the other 48 days feels more cohesive to me uh i I sort of have this in the same range as like ooh and found the first time that michael went missing and collision so i ended up sort of splitting the difference and i went with a straight 3.5 for the hunting party Uh, our listeners undershot me a little bit they went with a 3.4 average for an average score of 3.59 you definitely buffed that score up josh and the hunting party is in the top five baby episodes of season two so far
1: i think when you look down the the episodes of season two right now that that placement makes sense uh man of science man of faith in the top spot the 23rd psalm right behind it orientation in third the other 48 days in fourth the hunting party in fifth Then, Collision in sixth. I think that's an inferior episode to The Hunting Party, so I'm good with this. Seventh is Ooh and Found. Eight is Everybody Hates Hugo. Nine is What Kate Did. Ten is Abandoned. Uh, And clearly, in Dead Last right now, is Adrift. But right now, (laughs) shall it be Dead Last for long? Because next week, here we go. We're getting into Fire Plus Water, the episode of Lost that I contend is the worst episode of Lost. Is that true? Is this the worst episode of Lost? Is it actually going to be Stranger in a Strange Land is the worst episode of Lost? We'll find out. We're, you know, weeks and weeks away from that, but we'll get there. Uh, But for now, we are coming up again once more against an episode that's kind of not great. Uh, And and it, it will test the theory of are there are even the episodes of Lost that are not that great still better than not having an episode of Lost? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I'll tell you that Fire Plus Water is always an episode that I'll skip on a rewatch. I will really never watch it unless I really have to. Uh, So this is not an episode I like to revisit very often. I think it's got about one genuinely good moment, and that's John Locke punching Charlie in the face um and that's about it Ugh. but but am i gonna have a better sense of humor about you all everybody's we're in quarantine right now mike lost meets you where you are do i need fire plus water is fire plus water gonna be a 4.2 anything's possible we don't know
2: we're in the upside down times right now but yeah i mean this it's gonna be really interesting to compare this to a drift because the one thing i will say about a drift is is at least a drift gets you away from Sawyer and Michael for a good part of the episode. Correct me if I'm wrong, Josh. I don't think there's a B plot. I think this is all Charlie the entire episode.
1: I don't know. We'll we'll talk about it next week. I don't rewatch this one. <laughs> I have like very little recall. So we uh, shall discover. So I mean,
2: yeah. So this, unlike some, maybe some other episodes, this is not one where you're like, well, I don't like this, but at least I can escape to find out what's going on on the island. If my memory serves correctly. This might be a rough time. That being said, I love talking about any loss, especially breaking down when loss does not make such great decisions. That's why I actually really loved our coverage of Adrift. So if it holds as much water or fire plus water as our Adrift coverage did, I think we're in for a good chat no matter what, even if the episode is anything but.
1: Yeah, and also if we end up with a shorter Lost episode next week, that's all right. Lots of podcasts going on, so I could I could take a shorter one. Uh, speaking of those podcasts, let's give you a little bit of a, a tour around post-show recaps right now, because there's a ton going on. Better Call Saul is barreling towards its finale. It's got two episodes left uh, in Season 5. Antonio Mazzaro and I are recapping that on our Better Call Saul podcast. Joe Garfine and I have Westworld covered for you. Westworld just had a doozy of an episode. Just hit the halfway mark of Season 3. We'll have our Episode 5 coverage for you coming very, very soon. Jessica, Lees and I are about to launch our coverage of Killing Eve. Are you a Killing Eve
2: fan, Mike? Should I be? Like, Sell me on it for a bit. What's what's sort of like the
1: style of it? You ready? I'll yeah. I'll sell you on it right now. Do you trust me? Of course I do. Watch Killing Eve.
2: Okay, I'm I'm not a huge fan of like the true crime. Murder stuff. It's,
1: it's, it's, there's, there's murder for sure. There's crime for sure. It's heightened and it's delicious and it is so brilliantly acted and it's got incredible characters and it's very funny, but it's also scary. Okay. It's great. It's great. It's great. It's very, it's very up your alley. I'm Uh, sold. I think you should watch it. So we've got Killing Eve coming out. Season 3 premieres on Sunday night, April 12th. Jess and I will have coverage of that premiere, uh, and just our initial thoughts on on Killing Eve as well in that first podcast, because we have not been able to record a preview show. We're just launching right into it. So we'll give you a little bit of that preview in that first recap as well. Uh, Walking Dead is done, so Killing Eve is what she and I are focusing on next. Two other podcasts that are currently active on post-show recaps. There's Everything is Super. It's the Marvel Cinematic Universe rewatch that Kevin Mahadeo and I are are doing we just watched iron man next on the docket the incredible hulk Ooh. mike the incredible hulk and fire plus water in a single week
2: oh what a, <laughs> man what a delight <laughs> yeah I've, I've, i have fond memories of uh, finding one of those illegal torrent sites to watch the incredible hulk in and being like just saying okay i mean i guess you know you could anything could be better than ang lee's 2005 hulk starring eric banna but i think when you look down the marvel telescope it really pales in comparison to what's to come, understandably so, because it does seem like this is sort of like the redheaded stepchild that Marvel wants you to forget about.
1: Totally. All right, so we've got that plus, and oh my god, it brings me such joy to say this, we launched a Final Fantasy podcast Woo! on Post Show Recaps
2: this
1: Based on my favorite video game series of all time, Final Fantasy VII is having a moment, Mike Bloom. The Final Fantasy VII remake is out uh, it is available for you. It is a remake of a game that first came out in 1997 and is the king of a genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it only makes sense that I am doing that podcast with the king of Smash himself, Survivor Gabon's very own Ken Hong is my co-host wow. uh, on the Final Fantasy 7 podcast where we're doing, we, we released our first episode earlier this week. It's mostly just him and I waxing nostalgic about our memories of playing Final Fantasy 7. A lot less about the game itself in terms of the story specifics. Some talk about the mechanics of the game. Some talks about um, expectations from the remake, um, some of the ways that the remake uh, seems to be departing from the source material. We get into that, and in the weeks ahead, who knows where it's going to take us. That's a real Journeyman podcast where we kind of have no idea what the podcast is going to look like, other other than the fact that we know that at least for the next few weeks, we're just going to be musing about Final Fantasy VII as both Ken and I play through the remake, talk about our experiences with the original game. This is really a podcast that's for the super Final Fantasy nerd, or somebody who's interested in getting into it. Um, But Final Fantasy, foundational story for me. Uh, if you listen to my podcasts, you know that I love Survivor. You clearly know that I love Lost. I would put my love for Final Fantasy right up there with those two things. Wow. Uh, it's just not something I ever really get to talk about in any kind of professional capacity. So if you're a Final Fantasy fan, just know I'm very much one as well. And we now have a forum with which to talk about it. Wow! I'm very so excited about that podcast.
2: Final Fantasy is your materia. I love it. I will say, if you guys ever do one thing where you talk about other... Editions of Final Fantasy. I would love to wax profound about Final Fantasy VI because that is my Final Fantasy. Personally, I know I have no problems with seven, but six is where it's at for me.
1: I have respect. I have respect for six. I love six. Final Fantasy VI is a fantastic game, and I have a lot of respect for the people who say it's the best of the series. Uh, I, I believe that they are wrong, but I respect <laughs> their. I respect their opinion completely, and I, uh, I I I cannot fight you on it. So those are the shows that are happening on post show recaps right now. We've got a lot going on. Occasional one offs here and there. Yeah, uh, Mike. I know you and Jess are planning some stuff as well uh, surrounding Star Trek. I know you're also planning some stuff with uh, the great Shannon Gus.
2: Yes. So uh big one-off that's coming. So we talked about Julie Bowen's show Modern Family finally coming to a conclusion after 11 seasons. But people might not know that the day before Modern Family ended... A little show by the name of Shit's Creek, which is a Canadian show that is known for airing on pop TV, came to its conclusion after six seasons. It is one of those uh, really under-the-radar comedies that really came to prominence in the past year, where it really got a lot of Emmy love. It's created by Eugene Levy and Dan Levy, father and son team. It is one of my favorite comedies that I've seen in years. If Josh is selling you on Killing Eve, I'm selling you on Shit's Creek, Go watch it, especially if you love, like, the Parks and Rec variety of wackiness, character-based comedy, but a lot of heart and warmth to it. It is—I have not cried at a show nearly as much as I have cried at Schitt's Creek uh, binge-watching it. So be sure to check it out. Shannon and I are going to do a big sort of series recap about uh, our thoughts on the show, the way it ended, all the characters involved and the arcs that they had, etc. And as Josh mentioned, even though Star Trek— might be over for the near future with the conclusion of Picard. There might be a reason for us to gather some characters together to uh, perhaps go into the holodeck a bit and simulate a possible scenario for, mm, I don't know, 18 of these characters that could be classified into three different groupings and see if they can compete for 1 million bars of gold-pressed latinum or something like that. So as Josh said, so much going on in Posture Recaps outside of the coverage that Josh and I both do of Survivor and Top Chef as well. So look... We're stuck inside. It's all happening. Be sure to check out the TV that we cover and the coverage of the TV that we cover.
1: Okay, and begrudgingly, we are talking about Firepost Water next week on the podcast here on Down the Hatch. If you got questions for it, you can send them in downthehatch, dot You can tweet at us at Poster Recaps is our main Twitter account. Mike is at a Mike Bloom type, and again, I am at Round Howard like Ron <laughs> Howard because I am Ron Howard. Subscribe to Down the Hatch wherever you get your podcasts. Your ratings and reviews. Greatly appreciated. Until next time, everybody, take care. Goodbye.
0: Goodbye.